Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Come join us today for episode 263, the last of the month, wherein Graham McMillan and I trip down memory lane to revisit such oldies and maybe not very goodies, such as Mad Bull 34, The Secret Society of Supervillains, The Master of Kung Fu Omnibus vs. The Master of Kung Fu in digital reprints, and the much more recent and much more enjoyable Invincible Justice and Fresh Vegetables by Pascal Jusselon, Black Widow Number 1, the DC Target Primal Age exclusive 100-page giant, and much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm uh, I'm pretty good, sir. How about yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm sick, Jeff. Oh, right. I forgot. You got yourself oh, so, the cold. So yeah. here's, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I, have, I don't know if you get this as well, but like you know a cold is coming on, and you sort of convince yourself it's not. Mm-hmm. And you go through like a couple of days of that, and then you just have a day where you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm actually sick. Mm. That was yesterday. Ew. Yesterday, like I woke up and I like my throat was just like, I don't mean to be rude, but but you your your throat is sandpaper, and I was like, <laughs> oh, oh oh guess I guess I'm sick, and like I I you know I I sat up in bed and I was like, oh that's right, I'm actually properly sick, like I'm feeling dizzy and everything, mm. Mm. um and I'm, I'm simultaneously like better and worse today. It's the one of those things where like the cold evolves, mm-hmm. so like my throat is worse, but I also don't feel like I'm about to collapse any minute. Oh well, that's good. Yeah. So you know. Swings and roundabouts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, of course, was nodding sagely when you were talking about your whole, like, you know when? But the fact is, the instant I feel like I'm getting sick uh, these days, I'm just like, all right, I'm I'm swigging from a bottle of NyQuil, and I'm going to bed half an hour early. And, I am, uh, I'm, like, super resistant to, to NyQuil or all of that. I have this weird thing where I grew up. And it was Lemsip or Theraflu as it is in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for some reason, I got my head, that in the head that like that cures everything, uh-huh. which is one hundred percent not true. Yeah, yeah. But but still, to this day, like I'm forty four years old, and I still think that if I have a cold, all I have to do is take a Theraflu, and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And everything else is useless. <laughs> Like, I, I could go to a doctor right now and they'd be like, you know, oh, you know, you really should take these antibiotics. And I would, I'd really, like, my first thought would be like, no. I'll I just don't do just, some TheraFlu. I'll just, yeah. Uh, yeah I, mm-hmm. That'd be fine. Yep. I totally do that with the NyQuil. It really is. It's like, uh, I feel like that looks like gangrene developing down there. Better do a double dose of NyQuil before bed. So, you know, it, it uh. It'd be wonderful if, if things work that way, but they, it, it just doesn't. Anyway, I'm sorry to hear about the cold. I hope you get through it well. Please don't get the uh, the flu. Uh, uh, there's been a couple of people in my department that had that, and it laid them out for like a week. I mean, unless yeah, they were I, lying I, to me, but it I, sounds I'm like... Really, I'm really hoping it's not the flu. I'm really hoping it's not anything serious, you know? I yeah I think it I, it sounds to I, me I, like you know it sounds like a cold yeah like like it, or I should say it feels like a cold mm-hmm. um especially because I I've had the flu mm-hmm. and the flu both came on faster mm-hmm. and felt worse yes yeah exactly you feel 
horrible. Um, I, I remember when I had the flu and our niece was coming for a sleepover. This was June, but she was like two and a half, maybe three or something. It wasn't her, it wasn't her first sleepover with us, which was good, but it was literally one of those things where we would like go to the nearby park and play and then Edie would take her to the kitchen and distract her, and I would literally, like, sleep for half an hour and then <laughs> wake up and mop all the sweat off me and be like, okay, so what are we doing next? Cause it, and it just – it hit so super quick that we, we kind of didn't ha – we didn't have time to cancel, really, um, and we just – we didn't want to. But it it was kind of amazing that, that – when you've got that just horrible – and, I mean, and that was relatively low-key, like – the first, the first, that, that was just me being weak. The first day, the way that we <laughs> that found out about it. weak. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 exactly. Whereas the, the first day, which was the day before, like we, we found out about it by basically going for a walk and then me coming home, um, developing a super high fever and then throwing up twice. And that was, yeah, you know, that's, that's the best. Yeah, exactly. You're like, mmm, feeling good clean machine i tell you so yeah it's uh that was um uh so yeah so it's like you got yourself the minor thing i just hope you get this stay stay in lie low how how, this is gonna i sorry sorry listeners i apologize because this is one of the more trite questions but what's what's the weather like up there are you guys having like a cold wet winter or uh it's uh... Yes, on the cold, mm-hmm. the wet comes and goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wet has just come back, but I would say we just had like a week of, of not that bad, mm-hmm. uh, which was lovely. I, I Have I ever, I'm sure I have, and again, Juan I apologize profusely, um, shared my love of the sunny and freezing winter. <laughs> for some reason, there's something about that that makes me immeasurably happy. Oh, really? We, we kind of had that for like a week. Oh. And, and I'm like, you know, this is, this is amazing. And, you know, I say sunny, but... A, it's Portland, and B, it's January. Right. So, I mean, like, between the hours of 8 and 4? Right, right. Yeah, before um, it gets dark. Well, that's yeah. great. If you if you like that, I definitely recommend that you summer in Humboldt County, where I grew up, uh, like, out on the coast. Because if that's your idea of a good winter, you will get it for at least three months <coughs> in the summer. So And the days are nice and long and cold and sunny. So it's it's everything you could want, Graham. Hooray. I'm very excited about it then. <laughs> you sound it. You sound it. Graham McMillan, I have to say, we. my understanding is we are supposed to be doing a comic book podcast uh, tonight. I've heard that rumor. Uh-huh. I, I don't know how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let, let's see where this goes. Let's right. see if we're, if we're successful in attempting a comic book podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause I, cause I've got like, I've got some stuff that I read and there'll be some one or two pieces of which I'm like, oh yeah, this will, this will, this will fill up 10 minutes. This will wow him. Yeah. This, this is, this is going to be one hell of a topic for about three and a half minutes. Woo. Oh, okay. Let's start with one of those then. Yeah. What? You mean you're just going to make me throw my three and a half yeah. minutes under no, a bus? I, I want, I want, you to, I want you to give me one of your three and a half minutes, sirs. Okay. Uh, this week, uh, I think cause it went on sale this week, <clears throat> man, I cannot believe that my throat got instantly dry and coffee, uh, as soon as we got on <coughs> the podcast. Thank God I'm editing this. Yay. Uh, Mad Bull 34 volume one came out, uh, in English, 
I, I, I want to say this week, but knowing how things are, I suspect this has been lurking in the corners of uh, one of those um, digital stores where you can like buy manga collections with like, you know, digital yen or something like that. But I, it finally hit Comixology, I think, this week. And Mad Bull 34 is written by Kazuo Koike, the, uh, uh, the insane, uh, genius, uh, that, that wrote Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, the amazing Crying Freeman, uh, Samurai Executioner, like millions of other things. Apparently, Mad Bull 34 was successful enough that it ran for a god awful length of time and it was connected collected in 27 volumes uh over in japan let's see do i have the page open i do not give me one second if i can give you a little bit of bio detail uh uh it 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 was written by kazuo koike and illustrated by noriyoshi inuya uh serialized in young jump between 1986 and 1990 collected in 27 volumes Holy shit. Yeah, and it is a I don't know really how to describe it other than um like one of the more terrifyingly inappropriate manga I think that I have ever read. It's about two cops. Uh Mad Bull is Sleepy John Estes and his partner is a, a Dazaburo Eddie Bon who's a Japanese-American police officer, rookie, who who joins the New York police force um, in the, the 34th precinct. So, Graham, it it is filled with, I have to say, like so many uncomfortable racist caricatures. Oh, God. I mean, because it's, it's from, it's like 1986, <laughs> and I mean, it is just, it is just awful. It is, you know, it's, Sleepy John Estes, it is, uh, his, his hapless, kind of cute looking, uh, sidekick and just rampant nudity, ridiculous. Like, uh, what's, what's the, um, uh, God, what was that amazing little, uh, dirty hairy ripoff, uh, that, uh, 2000 AD collected oh, that it was oh, in action? One, my, one Eyed Jack. Yeah. Imagine One Eyed Jack if it was like, horrifically racist into showing as much inappropriate nudity as possible and literally was obsessed with seeing people get shot just in ways that make their heads explode like in different ways too so yeah that's I simultaneously think that sounds terrible and also weirdly fitting in like a 70s exploitation way. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of those weird like Japan, not quite because I'm like, it's 1986 to 1990. I mean, this is this is. No, but when you talk about like Dirty Harry ripoff, like, oh, yeah, you know, no, exactly. No. And this really is like some of the uh, the uh, Italian uh, ripoff movies uh, of things, you know, uh Bronx year 2000 and stuff that's just basically like dudes running around in the ghetto and exploding like that's all this book is well except for the copious nudity but it is it is it's it's almost grotesquely inappropriate like I was kind of like huh I uh wow this is this is you know me I like some I like some pretty low class manga 
Uh, and this thing. That's the thing, like, for you to be like, this seems a bit much. Like, I'm trying to think of a way of saying this, it doesn't sound like I'm insulting you, but the idea that you were like, this seems gratuitous, especially in manga, makes me feel that it's, it's a lot. Well, you know, I, I think that's because, uh, of, of all the various manga stuff that, that kind of makes me antsy, honestly, uh, Racism, racism and, and racist stereotypes are the ones where I kind of get the most uncomfortable. And there's a certain amount of like, okay, it's kind of the culture. Like they very much, there's a, there's a lot of manga that is, you know, very far from progressive and it's, but it's sort of, it's sort of like, eh, it's a character too. It's really uncomfortable, but it sort of comes and goes. This where the entire, uh, Raisin Detra is like white women having their clothes ripped off by, you know, huge hulking black guys that are like really horrible caricatures just so that they can get pumped full of shotgun bullets. Like it's. Yeah, that sounds. Um, yeah, it's not great. Yeah. It's not great. So it's kind of weird that it was like, huh. This is, uh, this is, uh, like I said, it's, it's, oof, ooh. Um, so yeah, pro- I don't know when volume two is hitting comicsology, but you can feel relatively uh, confident in, in knowing that I did not hit the subscribe to series button. So I'm, I, I, I'm also a little upset that you were not like, oh no, let's go for it. You know, honestly, I know. Part of me is like, I'm just hoping it comes through on Comicsology Unlimited. I, I, I might, I might check out another volume. I honestly, I might. But at the same time, I, oof, it, it really was. It was one of those factors. Also, I have to say, Graham, I'm kind of just like a pig in stink. There are, you know, because I, I belong to Hoopla, uh, Comicsology Unlimited. Uh, yeah, I've got to say, the amount of, like, maybe not free because they're subscription services, but, you know, the amount of material that is available without an additional purchase price. Yeah. These days is nuts. It's, it really is. It really tipped over between, I feel like, DC getting added to Comixology and Viz switching to, to the, you know, the Shonen Jump digital thing that I subscribe to. Um, I'm just... I'm just kind of wallowing in them to say nothing of the amount of material that I stockpiled. Like by contrast, I was reading Mad Bull 34 and you know, like I was like, why am I reading this when I had, I purchased, when there is literally so much other stuff. There, that there's so exactly, exactly. I, I bought seven volumes of Vinland saga during the recent comicsology Christmas Kodansha sales or holiday sales. And each one of those volumes is like, 400 pages they're double volumes and um i'm like midway through volume three and i realize it's it's one of those books that i'm actually most manga i tend to really uh just start you know it's like a slippery slope i'm just by the end of it i'm i'm ready to like uh you know practically jump over an abyss or something i'm i built up so much speed but Vinland Saga, I really just keep reading it like slowly because it's such it's really a delight. Like I I honestly think that a lot of people 
Like, I think you would like Vinland Saga a lot, Graham. Like, it's one of the few manga that I could see myself saying to you, yeah, you should read this because I think you would like I, it. I feel like you've mentioned it enough that, like, I'm definitely curious. And I, one of the things about this year is I think I do want to try more manga this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you, and maybe I said it on the podcast, I honestly don't remember, that um, about After Hours, the the Viz uh, romance manga about the 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 – Two women who fall in love with the rave and try and throw their own rave. Oh, yeah, you did tell me about that. That did not stick. I should. Uh, that sounds uh, great. Well, well but, um, I'm going to repeat myself in case I did say this in the podcast. <laughs> um, I read all three volumes, mm-hmm. and the first and second volume are really strong, and the third volume shits the bed so badly. Oh shit! Astonishingly so. Yeah. But there was something so charming. Uh, about the first and second volume, mm, mm-hmm. uh, that made me go like I. Uh, well, oh, I also read My Brother's Husband, Volume Two. Oh, good. Did you like um, it as much as Volume One? Or uh... yes. Oh, so good. Loved good. it. Right. Um, but the, but the, sort of the combination of those two things made me go like I like whenever I actually read manga, mm-hmm. I generally really enjoy it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that is I read so little, and I read things that have been. Like either had amazing critical feedback or have been personally recommended to people who know my tastes. Right, right. So that I'm getting an incredibly curated. Um, you know, I'm not getting a fair sample size at all. Right. But it does make me think. Like I should just read more. I should. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem for me is the length of some of these series really throws me off. Right. To be honest, it's like 20th and 21st century boys was shorter. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I would have more memory of that, but as it is, I'm like, I really liked the first few volumes, and then I have no idea when I stopped. Right, right, yeah, I know what you mean. I definitely know what you mean. Yeah, it's, uh, uh Monka but no, is, it's, yeah. It's like, Saga is going to go on the list, is, is, that was a long way of saying that. Mm, but, uh, but no, I, I, this is going to be my year where I'm going to try and read more manga. Oh, great. Well, uh, you know, with the Portland Library system, it'll be it'll be pretty easy for you. It'll be interesting to see if I can come across stuff that I think you'll like, because I do think that um, I haven't quite nailed down what your tastes would be. Like Vinland Saga is just strong enough to me that I kind of feel like almost anyone could yeah, like it. Yeah, you're like it's just strong enough. That's, yeah. Well, it's also like you know, my brother's husband, I think, is something that is almost universal. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's just a, a very um it, it sounds strange. I think that if you dislike it, you have to go in with an agenda because it is such a weirdly guileless book. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's done so well that I I think there's there there is a sincerity there that that comes across and sells you on it. Right. Um, I'd say you've read both volumes of My Brother's Husband, right? No, I haven't. I have not. Oh, I, I will not say what I was going to say. Okay, Never good. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great because I'm like, no, 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 no. I uh, have you read? I ah, uh, Graham. You know, I I checked out volume one from the library along with, and this is this is a thing that I do that is so stupid. I check out multiple volumes of manga at the same time, and then I'm so conflicted as to which one to start with. I don't read any of them, so I I literally had it and. Oh, what was the other manga volume? And also, My Boyfriend is a Bear, and which I know you liked. So it's kind of like, Graham McMillan likes these pile. And also, is not a manga. Yeah, well, 
Okay, so a bunch of graphic novels and some manga. I don't remember what the manga is, but the point being, I did I returned them all all unread. I I made it through like fifteen pages of uh, My Boyfriend Is a Bear, and then uh, sort of wandered off and. Oh, again, like I I really really liked that. No, I know. Yeah. The um, and interestingly enough, like I really liked it more when I finished it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I am, I am sappy and sentimental and there, it's, it's an exceptionally, uh, sentimental end. Do you know what's, well, which may be good. I don't know. I found myself reading it. I've really loved, especially her, uh, the cartooning was fabulous. Oh, okay. Uh, Kat Ferris, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. And, and it was just, was great. Uh, but for whatever reason, I kept kind of, I don't know. Like, I just didn't, you know, sometimes when you've got to work and for whatever reason, you just don't enter it. You kind of skip on top of it like a stone and you just never really get engaged. Sure. Yeah. It was really weird. I'm like, I like all of this. Why don't I like this more than I'm liking it? You know, so uh, it's it's such a weird thing. And again, I'm I, I sort of wonder the extent to which uh I don't know. You know, there's there's so much. I've got so much in front of my eyeballs now that um, not only am I having like a, a hard time picking stuff out, but I also worry the extent to which I read it. And I'm kind of like, you know, it's that that whole. Uh, uh, well, you, you wouldn't know anymore because you only cover San Diego Comic-Con professionally. But, you know, when you sort of have that moment of you're sitting in a panel and you kind of can't enjoy it because, you know, there's like five other events going on at the same time. Oh, yeah, time. yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. And so there's a little there's a little bit of that with comics stuff, especially the some of the longer pieces. At least I think that's what's going on. I also had that thing where I'm like, nah, I love life. I love comics. Comics are great. And then, and then I, I read like, I don't know, like five or six books over the last couple of days. And I'm like, this was not very good at all. So there, oh, so w- what did you read? Well, uh, so there's going to be some, th- what's rough is some of this is stuff that you really dug um or would dig but like i'm not going to take it personally i no 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 graham wait wait until you got to see it's wait until i deliver it once i'm through talking about it you will take it personally because i no no i'm kidding uh i i read the first two issues of uh goddess mode and Mm -hmm. um i i remember of course that you uh had liked the first issue a lot uh by Mm -hmm. zoe quinn robbie rodriguez and Rico Renzi and I'm you know I I'd like to think that I'm really in the tank for all of those people and it's uh it's not it's geez I got to tell you it's there's just something that hasn't gelled I think that part of it could be that the book is slickly done enough to cover up how Ah, it's the word there's I feel like there's a lot of beginner mistakes going on like there's so much it's such a dense world that mm-hmm. Quinn and Rodriguez have built that 
that I feel like even like the first issue had a lot of like, okay, now we're going to have another exposition scene and another exposition scene and another scene where the character is, is expositioning. And it sort of makes sense because it's a very like, again, dense world. But then like, I don't know, I felt like two thirds of the way through issue two, I was like, I'm still getting exposition. And of course, on the one hand, it makes sense because the the whole point is the character has sort of discovered the la- the layer of reality underneath the reality but sure. at the same time i kind of had a certain amount of like sailor moon in the matrix should not require this much exposition <laughs> you know what i mean like it just doesn't it shouldn't have to do that so so i just i, I again that that's one where I was weirdly like, eh. I threw the mirror, the powers of Comicsology Unlimited. I'm like, oh boy, I'm gonna download lots of comics. Uh, I I downloaded uh, Action Comics 1000 because I'm like, hey, I didn't read this. Uh, and uh, I really have to say that reading it, a, it's hilarious to see how much. Like, I'm really glad I didn't read that Brian Bendis preview story that I just, you know, kind of went into Man of Steel cold oh, and sure. was like, yeah, I'm going to read it. Yeah, because it's literally like you're six pages in the middle of Man of Steel issue four. Yeah, right. And and there's even little bits and pieces, you know, there's like the two uh, uh, women whose cafe has sort of been wrecked who are trying to drag Superman away from, you know, the carnage and talking about his red underwear or whatever. And... It really just had a, it just had a kind of eh thing. But I mean, the thing that's interesting to me is one of the things that was interesting that that I found intriguing about reading the rest of Action Comics 1000 is it actually makes all of Bendis's other stuff just stand out much. Uh, more strongly like I I am kind of like yeah I've got my complaints like I read Superman 7 after you and I talked about it and I was kind of like I I don't like this as much as Graham does and I think there's a huge structural flaw right at the core of it but you know which is fine but at least it's not this eight pager in the middle of well but the weird part but the weird part is is how much the rest of action comics just 1000 i don't know it just weirdly didn't work for me like it did but it didn't and i found myself being like okay is it just is it just that i'm such a shitty human being or yes yes thank you that's what i was looking for (laughs) that was the compliment i was fishing for you knew where i was going wait Uh, no wait so so uh, so i'm getting there a bit more yeah yeah for me, I I realize that one of the things that's really weird about Superman is is the amount of time in every comic where everyone talks about how great Superman is, you know, well, and especially in an anniversary issue, right? Which super makes sense, believe me. Which super really, really, really does make sense, but um, I ah I just uh. You know, it was sad because I think the one of the stories that I liked the most was, and it wasn't good per se, but that that Brad Meltzer John Cassidy story or whatever, where 
Superman's I, like I, it's been so long since I've read it, so I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I don't remember what the story is. It's 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 super slight. I mean, I feel like most of the stories are kind of slight-ish, uh, yeah. and it it may it may work very well coming on whoever the hell wrote that Vandal Savage story that was like, I'm doing a bunch of oh, it was a uh, um uh what's his name the guy and Patrick Gleason Patrick Gleason and the guy who oh uh, um Pete Tomasi yes Pete Tomasi's issue where it's like they just do a bunch of um uh pinups and it makes sense because it's like Superman's being thrown through time and then it's I mean it's just an excuse for Gleason to basically draw the different stages of of Superman the different eras and kind of have it be tied loosely into his story but it was it was it was just it was all it was really banal. So the Brad Meltzer story uh, is Superman knows how fast he's basically sees that there is a guy who has taken a woman hostage and he has pulled the trigger on his gun and the guns up against the woman's head. And Superman knows that. He, he's not going to make it in time. So you, it's lots of shots of the bullet moving in super slow motion and Superman flying across the city super fast. And what happens is the woman who actually pushes her head against the gun and moves it to one side just enough just to sort of that it travels that much further to hit the front of her temple that Superman's able to catch the bullet. And it's not, it's not, it's, it's, I mean, that's so incredibly slight, but at least it had some sort of like, oh, that here's an impossible situation. How is Superman going to solve it? Oh, it's actually solved by the, by the person there. And then he's got that sort of like, Oh, these people inspire me. And, and Lois yeah, there, is like, there's more to it than just the Superman can't do anything because he's Superman. Right. Exactly. So, so it was, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was Pat, um, which I think is something that I think we're, I'm used to sort of uh, expecting from Brad Meltzer, but, uh, but, but at the same time, I was okay with it. The Tom King story, I mean, at least it tried to do something. I wasn't, I wasn't really crazy about it, honestly. Uh, but, you know, I, but there was so much in Action Comics 1000 that was just sort of, cause as you know, there's a whole long Dan Jerkins story. That's a, that's it's like Superman Day and Metropolis and it's all these people getting up to say great things about Superman and meanwhile like Lois is supposedly talking to Perry who's like no you can't talk to Clark it's he's here for Superman Day and what it turns out is is she's actually talking to Batman because there's this whole invasion that's happening that the Justice League actually all the DC heroes are handling so that Superman can have his day at this parade that he kind of technically doesn't want to be at and. And there's a lot of, oh, but Superman, you're important to the people of Metropolis. And it's super important that we get to pay tribute to you. And, uh, you know, I mean, as you know, Dan Jerkins, not really my guy, but there was just so much in the story that's just like, like, I'm just like, I had that moment of like, is every superhero comic like a tongue bath of the main character and I don't realize it? Like... There's something where I think for such a long time it was so important for Superman to be 
important and relevant. Like it was kind of this this underpinning that the characters always have to talk about in just about every issue. And it it what's weird is I always sort of assumed that it was a um the writers and the editors and whatever, whether unconsciously or not, kind of realizing that, you know, Superman's supposed to be important to us, you know, as the first superhero and everything yeah. that he stands for and et cetera like that. And again, this is th- these effects, I'm sure, again, I didn't say it the first time. I'm, I'm sure the effects are heightened by Action Comics 1000, as you point out, since it's an anniversary issue. But I just... You know, I I generally think that the that those issues have kind of gotten to be big wastes of time, which is fine. But I really did find I felt like it really heightened this feeling of like I don't I don't know if there's that many character superheroes that I read or liked where the feeling of how awesome they are has to be shoved down your throat. You know what I mean? Like Captain America, uh, certainly. Um, and maybe that's the other thing is is the closer that you get to a character that sort of represents America. There's got to be a lot of like, and America's great and Superman. Yeah. Really, a really self-conscious like explanation. Superman is, is by far the worst of those characters. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. get people who work on the characters constantly feeling the needs to explain to you why these characters are worthwhile. Yeah. Which is, is exhausting Mm -hmm. if you do not already like those characters. Right. Um, you get like variations in that in other characters, I think. Mm-hmm. I think there is a constant over explanation of Batman as a character in pain. Right. Well, you know, like, right. you, like how many times has Batman's origin been told? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you get variations on he's just a, a little boy who didn't grow up right in the same way that you get a lot of explanations of, especially, um, I would say in like the last 15, 20 years of the punisher's origin or of like you know the punisher is fucked up right well you know so and i but i think the superman i think you're right i think superman definitely gets a lot more of the superman is a important and here's why and b superman is an aspirational figure and here's why right more more than any other character yeah definitely like i said except uh, again except maybe captain america i mean i'm okay with yeah like you said sort of the 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 importance of hitting the one note for the character like this character suffered because their parents died or spider-man can never have his way like all right okay i kind of get that though i guess the weird part is how much superman if you were reading it and again reading that superman day story where people get up and sort of talk about how great superman is there's one appearance by maggie sawyer where people actually end up talking about how great maggie is you know, and I was just like, man, this is it it kind of it felt sort of fanficy. And the weird part about it is unlike the traditional and I could be incredibly wrong, a unlike the sort of traditional fanfic of or rather the typical ego fantasy of here's the heroic figure and the heroic figure is great and can do no wrong and everyone loves them because you identify with the heroic figure and it's your ego that's being massaged secondhand. It, mm-hmm. Like I said, again, it, it feels weirdly different with Superman. It always feels like buy this refrigerator. You know what I mean? Like it just never hits me quite the same way. 
And and weirdly enough, I feel like if they were trying to hit another note, it would kind of be okay. I think the other thing that sort of is, I kind of hope Brian Bendis and brings back Superman doing things for charity because I feel like that was such a good way in the Silver Age DC comics for everyone to say like, oh, Superman's the greatest, but at least he's, you know, they would say it while he's like, flying through like hoops of fire while you know juggling tiny gerbils or you know what i mean just something that's kind of visually interesting whereas like if i feel a lot of it is people be like ah superman's the best and and you get superman or clark staying there chagrin being like i really wish they would say they're the best you know and lois is like nonsense you are the best you know and it's eh Anyway, so I had, again, weirdly crabby, didn't enjoy that, uh, did not enjoy the uh, wrap-up of that Wonder Woman storyline. Um, yeah, we, the, we, talk, came we talked about it last time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But for whatever reason, I felt like, I didn't feel like the either the last issue wasn't out or I hadn't read it. But I read it because I thought when we talked and I was complaining, it was still kind of uh, sort of in media resish, and then it then the ending came, and uh, yeah, I just didn't like it. Just didn't like it, Graham. <laughs> oh, no. I got to tell you, one thing that I did like, and this was going to be my other two and a half minutes, and uh, thank God to – give me a second here. I got to – I just – Also, gotta... I'm just going to say, you said like three minutes, and that was like half an hour ago. So if you have another two and a half minutes, we're good for like an hour. Okay. Well, there we go. I got another two and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, – uh, what not um, on Twitter? He is K O T G B. Uh, recommended that I check out uh, Invincible, um, the uh, by Pascal uh, Um Have you heard about this? He's the he yep. he is called the Invincible is the one and only true comic book superhero, uh, which is to say the reason why they say that is. His superpower is he's aware of the comic book page uh, as a page. And, wait, and then wait, can, I think I've read this. You probably have. He's He wears like a, a black and yellow outfit. He's got like a little comic and, book uh, wait, lid on I, his chest. I, yeah. Does he like fight through panels or yes. like steal something from – I have read this. Yeah. Why, why have I read this? This is super weird. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was maybe it was up for uh, a, an award that you were looking at. It came out recently, 2017. Um, but uh, it's fabulous. Uh, it's really great. It's super fun, fun with the form comics where, you know, like you said, he will notice a crime going down on the second tier of the page jump down and smash the villains and of course to them it looks like he's popped out of nowhere people will pull guns on him but he will actually defeat them by shooting them from down at the bottom of the fourth pound so it's very clever because of course as far as they're concerned he's like this master of time and space when really it's just his ability to do things like reach off panel and do stuff so it's it's like everything that i like about gwenpool but times five million and uh people here in the u.s probably elsewhere but certainly here in the u.s you can get um the first i don't know volume it's 50 pages 
It's $2.99 on Amazon. Weirdly enough, it's not on um, it's not on Comixology, so you have to read it inside the Kindle app, which is not a problem for the majority of the stories because they're all they're mostly single pagers. But there is um, two longer stories where uh, characters um, where it asks that you like read it in a double page spread, and there's literally no way to set that in the app, so it's kind of a pain in the ass but graham if you've read if you seem to remember reading it i gotta tell you you will thoroughly enjoy it it's 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 just goddamn delightful uh um, no I, I yeah i remember it. it's super fun it's yeah. super fun yeah it really is it's really great so uh just that's my that's my two and a half minutes go and you know grab that i, I could go on and on but i don't think that i really have uh Half of the fun of reading it is literally reading it and seeing how he um, comes up with new ways to sort of extend this this one little gag, uh, and it's it's just absolutely fabulous. Invincible Justice and Fresh Vegetables is the name of the first volume, and it's by Pascal Jusselin, uh, J O U S S E L I N, and. Uh, when, when you said you're reading Invincible, I honestly thought you meant the Robert Kirkman comic, and I was like, surely you've read Invincible before. <laughs> like, you loved Walking Dead. How could you not have read Invincible? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I did read Invincible and even like the first, I don't know, like... It's a completely serviceable, like, yeah, Spider-Man comic. Exactly. Like, it, it 100% is, with, yeah. like, the, the especially for its times, uh, for mm -hmm. its time, like, you know, postmodern Superman take. Right. Because remember, there's that and there's irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and there really was a point where it felt like people were like, hey, it's Superman, but what if Superman was secretly a dick and here's why? Right. Right. Yeah. And I feel that that was very much a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, the thing about Invincible that I thought was kind of great is, is yeah, like you said, perfectly su serviceable, sort of a teen superhero and again kind of like some of Kirkman's other work that he had done for Marvel and stuff like that he had he had an overall story where he wanted to go and it, it was kind of a way for him to play with larger tropes the big spin yeah. that happens related to Invincible's origin something like 20 issues in that really set everyone's hair on fire is is a very clever twist and is something that benefits from being able to tell your own superhero story you know that has elements of pastiche and so you can kind of see the oh he's kind of, kind of doing the what if x but if x was evil that's very clever kind of thing it was it was fun um but it is not nearly as fun as this invincible which is just goddamn great comics so uh, who, who publishes that? That the, this Invincible. Uh, this Invincible was published by, unsurprisingly, uh, Europe Comics. Uh, so ah, uh, Europe Comics. I mean, maybe I did read it for the Eisners. I honestly, like, I mm -hmm. I did not remember the name at all. Mm -hmm. But the, just the like the hero who knows he's in a comic. I was like, oh shit, I have read that. I do know what that is. Right. But I could not tell you when I read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of why it does make me think that it was in the in the you know the eyes. In the midst of me reading like thousand comics. Exactly. In, like, a week. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, the other thing that I is uh, read that I didn't like was I thought a really rare misfire from uh, Charles Forsman, who is a friend of the podcast. Hopefully not listening to this episode. I wish I could figure out a way to maneuver that out. Um, no, here's a great idea. Why don't you put it in the title of the episode like you did for the happy thing? I, I, I might. I might. I might just start warning people off. Hobo Mom by uh, Charles Foreman and Max de Rodriguez. Uh, I I just I I I thought it would be great and I didn't like it. It's a uh, it's a it's sort of a tender story about a family who's sort of been torn apart because the the mother left uh, when the the daughter was very young. Returns now that the daughter's like I don't know six or seven years old. Uh, she was she was a hobo mom. She was off riding the rails. Comes back. The husband's still in love with her. The the girl doesn't realize that she's her mother. Um, it's and it's it's kind of this weird. Uh, how do I put it? Like one of the things I like about so much about Foreman's stuff is how there's there's the work of his that goes with the crazy over the top elements. And then there's the stuff that is so like understated and delicate. And, and <clears throat> when, when those things somehow manage to work, like in elements of end of the fucking world or uh revenger for me, um, it's, it's great. You know, even some of the more just flat out tender stuff, like the, uh, one something summer, God help me. Uh, but Hobo Mom, maybe because of the because it's a cartoonist collaboration. I was going to say it's 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 him and it's it's someone mm. in in France, Belgium. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So Hang on, let, let me look it up. Uh, yes, Max de Rediges. Um, oh shit! It's the guy who did Bastard, which I loved oh, as well. Well, see, then maybe you would be down with oh, this. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I am I am literally. Um, I'm putting it on the list, as the kids say. Good. Well, go get it, um, and I hope you... Here, here's the yes. thing that's really interesting about it. Uh-huh. The plot, as you're describing it, is really similar to something. Again, I'm not sure what, but I suspect it is Bastard. That's hmm. really funny. Huh. Well, yeah, maybe maybe they started talking and was kind of like, hey, this idea that you did reminded me of this idea that... Anyway, don't know how it came together, but it didn't quite work for me. Um in part because the emotional stuff kind of doesn't really come together in any sort of anything but sort of the banal way, except every once in a while, I guess this is the influence of the European dude. Suddenly there's some hardcore fucking on the page and I'm kind of like, ah, ha, I don't feel like that's what I needed from my tender, you know, family torn apart hobo mom story was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> was this scene so uh you know i'm i'm like maybe i'm getting squeamish in my old age graham uh, the fact that i didn't like mad bull 34 or hobo mom like let's face it if you were running down a list of books that you had to judge like how much i would like them just based on the title alone you would have given pretty high ranks to both hobo mom and mad bull 34 right? absolutely yes. yeah that's what i'm yeah. saying like it's it's very on you yeah yeah i'm not i'm i'm definitely not on brand this week uh i've read issue two of die 
after really liking issue one of Die, and even though it seems exactly like the same book and the same title in every way in particular, like nothing seems to have changed that I can tell, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I can't read any more of this. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's really weird. Um, Die issue two, even before – now, I know that I have a trouble with back matter, and I – told myself that I wasn't going to read Gillen's Back Matter uh, and then I did but I kind of read that after getting to the end of the second issue and being sort of like I don't think this is going to work for me there's something that's really weird about the the way that it's all laid out and again I think that the the first issue Part of what works for me is, is I think that it's an actually really great uh, first issue in terms of setting up all the situation, but leaving lots and lots of questions. And then issue two delves, gives you some answers and teases more questions, but sort of like goddess mode, I was just so, um, by the time we, the, the amount of world building that Gillen had put in meant that there was just relentless piles of exposition in it. And the weird part is, is because it's these characters have all survived barely this game the first time when they were young and now they're thrust back into it as adults. There's mm -hmm. this added element of, all the characters are shorthanding, like it's sort of the worst of both worlds. The characters are all talking about the world building in, in incredibly shorthand terms. And then it gets over explained in the caption boxes. And, uh, it just, it didn't, it did, it did not feel great. I gotta say that second issue did not feel good to me. I was just like, I don't, I don't see how I can do anything other than be bored by this. But, and here's why everyone should totally disregard everything that I say, because if you haven't already learned how to do that, is I read Avengers 12 and liked it. So, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't. Maybe I just don't have taste. Maybe I just don't have taste anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, it was. I was actually uh, thinking a couple of days ago, like, what, what should I read this week? Because I've been reading just like random dumb shit this week. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking I should read, I should go outside my comfort zone. I should read things that I wouldn't normally read. And I actually had this moment of like, should I try Avengers again? And then just went, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that's just going to be a waste of whatever. I mean, it's probably $5 now, right? Uh, I think so. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's one of those, since I'm subscribed to it, it just sort of shows up and I don't, I don't pay attention. I just pay the goddamn bills. You know what oh, I mean? Avengers issue 12 was now only $4. Oh, uh, there you go. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's honestly, I think it's a fun issue. It's sort of, I feel like Jason Aaron is kind of doing, it's, it almost feels like he's doing a do-over of Jonathan Hickman's Avengers, but like he's sort of taking out like he's basically trying to throw in as much fun as possible for the most part. And I think also for me, in, in a way that you and I have talked about, I can't remember which DC title uh, 
you were talking about enjoying because, you know, kind of because it's like, oh, I, I get all the references and these are all these characters that I like that are my sort of thing. Um, Avengers 12 is very much Jason Aaron doing, trying, like I mentioned Hickman, you know, but I think, I think the, the more relevant take is, is that he's really trying to do, uh, uh, something like Grant Morrison's JLA to the Avengers. So there's a lot. Well, that makes sense. I mean, Aaron is actually an insanely Morrison esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, writer like you can see that he's read Morrison and and really like loved the Morrison run yes of of, of most things like of um what was the thing I was thinking of uh, his X-Men I feel was mm. was was expressly a post Morrison X-Men mm-hmm. in a way that you know almost no other X-Men since then like since Morrison has been right well and you may you may you may I think if you pick up some of these issues it might land closer to his Wolverine and the X-Men stuff. I, I heard the brew was back in it, which is honestly yes. the thing that t- uh, tempted me more than anything to pick yeah. it up. Yeah. So brew. And that's, that's an, an issue with a whole bunch of, you know, various second and third stringers. And it's, it's just, it's just fun. It's just fun. Like that, particularly issue 12, I, I ended up thinking was, pretty enjoyable i don't know when they're going what'll happen like how when he changes gears to the the big the next stage of the big sweeping epic but honestly right now it just seems it seems like it's at a fun and dumb level that i like so so again uh this was apparently my week for fun and dumb as long as it wasn't too racist so avengers 12 and uh uh, invincible like justice and vegetables or whatever it was called uh and great Uh, so everything else kind of kind of blah i know i read some other stuff here hold on maybe i have to jump over interestingly enough i um you know now that we're not doing baxter building i was kind of like oh you know what i can use marvel unlimited for more than just you know 12 offline issues of fantastic four at a time and I had been doing that. I I had read like, you know, 80 some odd issues or actually with the renumbering closer to 60 some odd issues of Master of Kung Fu. And I was like, yeah, I got to I should go back and read this. And for whatever reason, it was at a point earlier today where I the the tablet was recharging because I had really used up used it up. And I was like, OK, I'll 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 grab I have the Omnibuy on the shelves I cracked open the Master of Kung Fu Omnibus, the third volume, to flip through roughly the issues that I had gotten to uh, in the um, uh, on Marvel Unlimited. And Graham, this is this is this is was one of those like weird like this an uncomfortable moment where I was like I I was looking at them and I'm like these pages look kind of garish and not good in the omnibus like i was i had that moment of like jesus is it that i prefer digital and i don't know if that's i mean i know i prefer digital for a bunch of convenient you know forms of convenience but i always but sort do of you know assume, aesthetically prefer digital yeah I, yeah kinda i mean i think part of the problem is is that um is that the ipad that i use the the master of kung fu pages that i'm reading 
are pretty close to the pages that they were published at. They're a little bit smaller, but, you know, only a little bit. You know what I mean? Whereas the omnibus editions, the everything's blown up slightly. And, you know, it's just it's Mike Zek on a monthly book. Like there's times when Zek is Zek's really enjoyable, but it's also like. Uh, unless you get someone to ink the hell out of him, it's not necessarily the sort of stuff you want to see blown up super big. And and well, and also Zek, unless I'm massively misremembering, is a fan of taking shortcuts at certain times. Sure, sure. And you know, as so I can I can imagine that is not going to work yeah. when you blow the pages up. Well, see, that's it. It's sort of you blow the pages up. I don't know. I think the page the issues that I were looking at were right before. Uh, before Gene Day comes on. So it's Bruce D. I don't remember the full name because literally the one issue I looked at, he just signed it Bruce D. But oh, it's probably Steve Patterson. Probably, right? Because the, the, he was around a bunch around then. Yeah, and that makes sense. And so his inking is practically uh, practically um, Coletta-esque. Uh, at least at the at least at the sizes that these pages get blown up at, it's kind of like, huh, this looks kind of sketchy and garish and just kind of overly uh, comic booky in a pejorative way. And it was it was like, oh, this is not this is kind of not cool. I gotta say, so that was kind of a bummer. I have to it, that that. So then I you know once the tablet recharged, I opened up. A couple of issues of Master of Kung Fu on Marvel Unlimited, and it seemed mostly better, but it was – it's kind of distressing. That you're, you're, you're finally leaving print. You can't even do omnibuses anymore. Yeah. Yeah, because well, I kind of – you know, I had such a big sort of uh, shrug of satisfaction, and then I sat down and st- – again, I think part of it might be the reproduction because I made it – didn't make it a huge way through, but I have the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu Omnibuy as well. And maybe because they were printed in magazine size, they're sort of closer to the size that they were intended to be printed at or something. But I don't know. It just it did have I did have that weird feeling of like, yeah, I don't like these big, you know, and of course, the omnibus is. You know, these aren't these aren't like the, you know, the entire run of the effort, the the Lee Kirby issues all in one volume. But they're pretty hefty. They're kind of weighty. And I was just like, you know, well, I mean, there's that problem with all of this is where when there's too many issues in it. Right. I mean, it's just an uncomfortable book to read. Yeah. You're just kind of sitting there being like, this thing is kind of crushing me or my legs are falling asleep while I read this. And it's it's not quite the it's not quite the adventure that I was hoping for. So, um, yeah, that was, that was, that was kind of, kind of weird. Um, so that's, that's it. I mean, you're, you're digital only now, Jeff. Yeah. You know, I kind of knew that I was, well, I mean, apart from, you know, uh, untranslated manga that I can pick up in Japanese convenience stores, but yeah, it kind of seems like it. And it's, and I just don't know how I feel about it, Graham. I, on the one hand, part of me shouldn't be surprised, uh, but but again, it's this very weird. I like carrying around my my little tablet, but but I've also have really started to prefer, for whatever reason, the digital coloring makes more sense to me than what I'm seeing in print. So I don't know. That's 
that like digital coloring is well, yeah i was gonna say that makes no sense to me but then i was thinking like especially marvel collections mm. their recoloring is just like a horribly uh clear oh yeah adaptation. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And as a result, because it's on glossy paper, mm-hmm. is is far too bright, is far too garish. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like that's a problem. Yeah, the that is a little more problematic. Honestly, I was thinking more along the lines of uh, most modern comics that I read that are being digitally colored, you know, and therefore like. Like, I just feel like the, the range gets shown off better, you know, like kind of the, the whole range of palette, maybe part, partly because my eyes are crap. But some of the coloring that, that is being done by today's colorists, I think, really just carry just a tremendous amount of oomph for me. I'll tell you another thing that actually is a weird way in which I've been appreciating um, Bendis' Superman. And honestly, maybe it's because I'm reading more dc comics generally these days but i feel like a lot of dc books have this uh but especially bendis is he will open his story and have something like four or five like double page spreads in a row and when you're reading the book in landscape uh format on the ipad it's it's a really nice it's like a nice super widescreen experience like, I really kind of like the format. I mean, it it can't just be, like, a double-page panel. But, you know, Bendis, he'll, like, he likes to move things across the page and back and have a lot of action on there. And when he does that for, like, two or three pages in a row, which I feel like he's done especially uh, for the first couple of issues of the of Superman, um, it's, it's, a, it's nice. Like, a part of me sort of hopes that one that like you know marvel's did their second series of jessica jones uh the digital comic i think Mm -hmm. um i would really hope that people just do a widescreen book you know like i don't really the the what was the infinite comic stuff you know Uh, sure but i mean uh dc's digital stuff has been widescreen yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Forever. Well, but I mean, like, I mean, like. A, you mean you you mean you want something that actually takes advantage of the size as opposed to is half a print page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, I want I want a book that is more or less like twenty pages or whatever, but is is all told with the with the where the the single page concept is a landscape page rather than a portrait page. So you would read the whole comic just flipping from page to page, but you'd never move out of your landscape orientation. So, hmm. and maybe people did, wouldn't like it. Maybe it would go too did, quickly. Did you read the, did you read the print edition of barrier? The Brian K. Vaughan, Marcus Martin comic. You know, I read, I read the first issue digitally and didn't come back for the rest. Um, so no, I've read n- neither. Well, the reason I was going to say that is that is exactly what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when it was printed, it read in that format as well. Hell, right. the the um, the Marvel annuals of 2001 were all in that format. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. they were they were all uh, landscape. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And they called it Marvel Scope or something like that. <laughs> 
Interesting. I should because check of course, they, oh, of course, right. they did. Like, it, was the, it was the James days. Of course, it was the James days, and I remember reading. Of course, the only the only book I was reading at that time was Morrison's X Men Annual that was sideways mm-hmm. in that and was like an early X Corp issue or they were fighting the evil other corporation it's it's um it's Leneal francis Yu's drawing and it's the zorn it's the first appearance of zorn in the, the morrison annual oh is it huh i should yeah. go right right um yeah huh i'll have this i wonder if it would work for me if i got it digitally Anyway, well, anyway, Graham, that, apart from the fact of, holy shit, did Aquaman make a ton of money, is more or less all of my comic book thoughts. Like, pretty much all. Oh, and George Perez retiring, which I thought he already had done. So I think that. Yeah, I have to say, I saw that today, and I was like, didn't he do that a few years ago? Like, wasn't he? This is going to sound uh, more flip than it's meant to. But wasn't he going blind, and he resigned, like, uh, retired, like, three or four years ago? I think so. Honestly, I think we're not fooling ourselves. I think what happened was he announced his retirement from comics work. And, and now he's doing retirement from commissions. Uh, commissions. Yeah, from commissions and a greatly reduced convention schedule. So, uh, yeah, so I think that's why. But I had that moment of like, wow, this is getting a lot of coverage, at least on my corner of Twitter, again, for something that I thought – it already happened. Yeah, so. yeah. Super weird. Yeah. Um, I have a, uh, I have something that I read and I may be the only person, who, not only the only person on this podcast, but the only person listening to this podcast who read. And I've got to be honest, the reason I read it was I read it for work because I was writing about it. But it has to be mentioned. The DC Primal Age 100 page giant, which is a Target exclusive tying into a new toy line. Wow. That is only Target. Uh-huh. The toy line is, what if DC heroes, but He-Man? And I'm not exaggerating. They purposefully are going for, like, the He-Man squat, overly muscled, like, pose. It, uh-huh. It's He-Man is 100% the inspiration slash what they've ripped off. Right. Um, And they put out this, this 100-page giant to tie in with it. Wow. Jeff, let me tell you the creative teams or the creators. On the <laughs> oh, I'm glad I'm sitting down for this. Marv Wolfman. Uh-huh. Jerry Ordway, Louis Simonson. Mm-hmm. Scott Koblish. Mm-hmm. Phil Winslade, Brent Anderson, Chuck Patton. Wow. And Keith Pollard. Whoa. That's right. There's a Marv Wolfman and Keith Pollard story in this. Holy shit. Wow. Shades right? of Marvel 2 in 1. That's amazing. So here's the thing. Because the because the toys are so clearly based on He-Man, mm-hmm. the gimmick is that DC Primal Age is a forgotten 1980s DC property. Oh, okay. So that's also part of the reason why they brought in because it was They've weird. These yeah, yeah. You know, which was weird because Marv Wolfman had a piece in that Action Comics issue, as mm-hmm. did Louise Simonson with Jerry Ordway, which of course made sense because of their ties to the characters in the era. But, huh? Well, so what is that yeah, like? Guess, Graham? guess who? Guess who provides the pinup for the issue? Oh. Mike Kaluta. Really? Whoa. Yeah. Did not see that one coming. So it's the weirdest creative lineup, right? Yeah. yeah. Look, it's 
fun? I mean, it is. That's a weird thing. It's it's such an odd concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, both the it's DC, but you know, fantasy, and also the but let's pretend it's a nineteen eighties thing. Right. Right, right, right. It's like the weirdest thing in general. Yeah. But um, it's super fun? Question mark. Right. It, in a, it sounds really strange, but one of the failures about the book is that it's a hundred page giant. Right. And that it's not like it's not like a, a cheap ass ongoing like twenty page comic. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's as a one shot. It shouldn't be a one shot, you know, because part of the, to fulfill the concept, it should be really throwaway. And at like an eight dollar, mm. hundred page giant isn't right, you right. know. And honestly, with those creators, I feel like it's much more a weird curio based at people who were buying comics thirty years ago. Sure, sure, yeah, and, I, yeah. And in a weird, so it doesn't live up to that, but at the same time, by its very nature, it shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> it's well. the weirdest, weirdest thing. Um, I got a really strong, uh, like 1980s Justice League vibe to it, which feels entirely appropriate. Right. Uh, but there is a, like, considering it is, uh, you know, I'm Batman, but I'm, my Batcave is literally a cave. You know, I, I, I'm Green Lantern and here's my magic wishing ring and all these things. It still weirdly felt like a 1980s Justice League comic. Huh. Which which I I liked, but again, I can't be the target audience for this. Surely, well, I don't know, Graham. It sounds like you might you might be exactly the target audience. I mean, you and or Jeff Johns, because I think that uh, doesn't Jeff Johns have like some uh, unresolved He Man issues, which sounds like some serious. I was going to say that you know that that sounds like something much worse <laughs> than I think you meant. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe not. Maybe not. No, 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 no. I, I actually was asking that question seriously. No, I, think, that I, thought, I, I, I think I think he is like a massive He-Man fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so I kind of had that weird like, oh, right, this sort of it, – it almost makes sense. And in a way, what would have been great is the I, – I know what you're saying about the disposable part, but it actually would have been lovely if it had been a 100-page giant that had kind of told one – sort of story across the different chapters and kind of did something, you know, cause, cause as you and I know, superpowers is a really fun disposable 1980s. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, no, yeah, that's just it. If it, if it pretended it was like a collection of the 1980s, like a 1980s yeah. series. Right. Yeah. You know that, that but it, but it's not like, yeah. that's not, that's not what it's trying to do. Huh. It's, uh, it's one of those things where like for what it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's good. Right. Uh, so, yes, welcome back to the second hour of, huh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm back like second hour of, Jeff just didn't like anything this week. I, You know, it's a shame because I was in such a perky mood. And like I said. Maybe that's why you didn't like anything. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's, it, I. Yeah, just sometimes you you sit there and you you read comics and you're trying you know you're trying to get in one direction to one little place and you just end up in a completely different other place you know. But, well, Jeff, let me tell you, if DC Primal Age wasn't wacky enough, mm-hmm. uh, a large portion of 
this week's reading for me, besides things for the thing that we still haven't announced, right, was the Secret Society of Supervillains. Holy the, shit! Seventy series, um, from seventy six, I think. Yeah. I think around seventy six through probably seventy eight. Yeah. Um, only lasts fifteen issues and a special. Yep. The special has no reason to be a special, other than I guess they're trying to make people read it again. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I got it because I have weirdly nostalgic feelings for a series I never read as a kid. Aside from, I found two issues, issue four and issue thirteen, in a second-hand bookshop when I was young, and I have like, especially issue thirteen, I have like weirdly strong nostalgic attachment attachment mm-hmm. to that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got it because it's Jerry Conway is the original writer and the editor. Yes. And it's his first attempt to do something with Darkseid. Mm-hmm. Right? What I had forgotten is the creative churn in that book is stunning even by 1970 standards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Conway is off by the second issue, which he only plotted. Yeah. No, he plotted and semi-scripted, but then according to the letters page, couldn't finish scripting because he had the flu. He th- he's then replaced by David uh, Kraft mm-hmm. for issues the end of the script of issue two, then issues three and four, then issue five sees a new writer come on, Bob Rosakis. Yes, I was about to say, Bob Rosakis takes over, and honestly – is that well? I don't know. Wait, I, I'm not done. Okay, yes, yes. By yes. like issue eight, Rosakis is off, replaced by Jerry Conway. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That sounds right. Were there two volumes of that? I thought it was all in one. The sorry, the reprint. It was collected. It was collected into two volumes. Yeah. Oh shit! I think I only bought and read the first volume, and I didn't read the second. Crap! I have to go back uh, trust and read me. it. You didn't miss out on a lot. No, I know. The first volume was easily some of the weakest comic sauce I think I'd ever read. It's just, it's unbelievably disappointing how... Oh, it's it's it features... Uh, I was going to say spoilers. This comic came out like 40 years ago. Yeah. Okay, so the, the uh, people who've, who follow the way about Tumblr will have seen this this week because I posted it. Issue one, you may or may not know, Jeff, was the second attempt at issue one. Mm-hmm. And there was an entirely different finished first issue right? that DC then printed uh, in Amazing World of DC Comics in mm-hmm. 77. Ooh. And then I think it's also in the first collection. It's either in the first collection or second collection recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is drastically different mm-hmm. from the, the version of print, especially because – the printed issue one, the issue one that finally saw, saw publication as Secret Society of Super Villains issue one is here are the villains, uh, Manhunter from the, the, or a clone of Simon's yes. and Goodwin's Manhunter That's is right. the team. Mm-hmm. And there's a mysterious benefactor mm-hmm. who by issue two, the end of issue two is revealed to be Darkseid. Darkseid finally makes his appearance in the book in issue three, right? right? In the unpublished issue one, Darkseid meets them in like page four <laughs> and then proceeds to explain the concept of the book in exposition, in like the worst exposition. Right. He is the weirdest, chattiest Darkseid who basically shows up and gives everyone a lift in his space van no. when explaining the concept of the book. I'm not joking. Oh, my God. 
right? And he's basically like, hey, villains, nobody likes villains, but you know, I have use for villains because I'm uh, kind of a villain, but I need like henchmen and you used to have Intergang, but Intergang, they don't have super villains and you guys are super villains, so why do you guys work for me, hey? <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's stunning and so like wrong for Darkseid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not in the book as 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 he's print. And in the the Amazing Worlds of DC Comics issue, there's a an introduction by Paul Levitz where he basically is like, yeah, after they finished this version, uh, Carmen Infantino sat down with him and said he wants it to go in a different direction. And the changes are minor, and they're not minor. It's a tr- like he literally yeah. changes the entire art team. Wow. But. You, I can honestly imagine Carmen Infantino sitting down and being like, "You can't publish this book. Right. Like this, this is this just gives the whole game away. You've got to add some mystery to it. You know, Darkseid just doesn't come off as Darkseid. You know, this, this is a terrible just rework it. It's such a drastic rework. So Conway, at this point, has done the last issue of First Issue Special, which is Return of the New Gods, where he plotted and Danny O'Neill scripted. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like a, a reboot of of New Gods. Mm-hmm. Then the month later, Secret Society starts. Mm-hmm. So you're like Conway is definitely trying to do something with Darkseid. Conway, as I said, is off the book immediately. Right. Like after issue two, he's gone. And Kraft, bless him, does his best with the okay. It's a fourth world book. Fine. Right. So here's Mantis. Here's Calabac. It's a fourth world book. Sure. Here's Funky Flashman even. Mm-hmm. The Dark Side issue four, Kraft's last issue, ends with Dark Side is going to have a fight with Captain Comet, who is the book's theoretical hero. Right. Okay? Yeah. Issue five by Barbara Zakis and Rich Buckler. Uh, it's Rich Buckler and Vince Coletta. Yeah. And so the art weirdly looks like the fourth world books for the first time. Mm-hmm. Because before that, like Darkseid it looks like a man with pur- in like with his face painted purple in like a toga. It's right. it's it's not flattering. <laughs> so so like the art looks better. But I swear to God, I've never seen a quicker way of tying up a plot, which is basically Darkseid's like, Oh fuck this. I'm going off in a boom tube. And Manhunter goes, no, you won't, and then jumps in, and they explode. And that happens in, like, page five. Wow. wow. It is so amazingly, like, half-assed, and we mm-hmm. don't care. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful in how shoddy it is. And the book never finds a purpose after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I made it through that first trade, and I know I've talked about it in a previous episode. I barely remember any of it. But you know what the weird part is? Is like, it's like I still feel the Secret Society of Supervillains is such a good idea for a book. Oh, it's, it's so great. And what's great is Conway comes back mm-hmm. and basically tries to set up his first issue again. Mm-hmm. There is another mysterious benefactor, right? Uh, and and you know again, he Conway gets like maybe two issues of that, and then again that is just Jensen. <laughs> Because this book cannot decide on a plot yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, it can't like it can't decide on its own high concept whatsoever. Because it it never seems to understand that the idea of like supervillains get together just as uh, Manhunter even says in like the second issue out of enlightened self interest. That's right. Like they never understand that that's enough of a hook for right. the book. 
So they just keep cycling through. What if it's this? What if it's a mysterious benefactor? What if someone is hunting after them? What if, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And Conway comes back and literally tries to set up everything from his first issue again mm-hmm. to the point of creating another headquarters, which has the same name as his first headquarters. <laughs> He's shameless. It's amazing. You get the feeling Conway was like, I didn't get to do this first time. Now I'm, do- now I'm going for it. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe. It's, it is kind of like, well, it's all in rubble. Like, my, why not give it, go, do closer to what I was thinking? Cause, because again, very much like Suicide Squad, you know, the idea of when you have supervillains uh, on a team together, it 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 sort of raises the stakes for the soup, soap opera stuff. You know what I mean? Because like people can decide to kill each other. You know, it's it it's a lot more tra- potentially trashy soap opera. Um, and of course it also, to me, sort of makes sense. And then you can do stuff, uh, you know, throughout that. One of the things that I actually really did like was the idea that Captain Comet comes in as a, I think, pretending to be a bad guy, but is basically a double agent, right? Is, or was that Manhunter or was it both Man, Manhunter, Manhunter is a double agent. Right. But Captain Comet is hoodwinked into believing that the villains are good guys because oh, he basically shows right. up and right. green lantern's like ending a fight and all yeah. he sees is green lantern like beating up super villains right but it reveals like in the same issue that like captain comet's like i'm a mind reader you can't con me and make me think these guys are good guys i knew immediately they weren't right right which is someone who actually just remembers captain comet's ridiculous like that's a guy who's got the kitchen drawer full of superpowers you know yeah, can, yeah, Captain Comet can do like everything. The yeah. other thing that's hilarious about the book and it's its inability to settle on really anything for more than two issues at a time. The mm-hmm. one thing that sticks around that is the weirdest thing that sticks around is Funky Flashman sticks around for like a good ten issues. Wow. Like of everything else gets ditched, Funky mm-hmm. sticks around for a long time. And when Rich Buckler comes on, Funky Flashman is Stan Lee. Like <laughs> he's not even vi- like he's using photo reference of Stan Lee. Right, I think Which I remember that. Hilarious. Um, but they have a uh, they have a set a new star sapphire that's not Carol Ferris. Right, and there's some mystery about her secret identity, mm-hmm. but maybe it's not a mystery. Maybe everyone like each successive writer forgets what has already been established. <laughs> so her name is Camille, and she's French. Until her name is also Debbie and she's American. And then she's called Deborah the next issue from the same writer. But which is maybe a mistake, but then the issue after that, she's called Deborah, but then she corrects the person saying it by saying, No, my name is Debbie. And it points out that she is also Camille. Oh my god, Graham, you know what they were trying to set up and didn't have a chance to. It's the secret society of the secret society of supervillains, where they've got like like a plethora of star sapphires. There's a secret society of star sapphires that are just replacing one another in the thing. And no one can tell because they look identical. That's clearly what they were going for. Look, I'm okay with that. <laughs> You're like, sure. It's better than what they came up with. So no, I, I spent, I spent a lot of this week reading that. And wow. They're shitty. And yeah. they're glorious. Yeah. You there, know, there's something genuinely enjoyable about, 
just how genuinely bad they are. Yeah, I felt that way about the first volume. I didn't realize they got around to doing a second volume. I'll oh, yeah. To duck over and, and they were both hardcovers. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, DC. What are you doing? I want to say that the second one is not available. I want to say that actually both might not be available on Hoopla. Really? Oh, that would be the worst. I, I feel like I thought the first one was, but meh. Anyway. Maybe it isn't. The second one isn't. I, all I know is I ended up buying these from eBay, like the entire run. Jesus. Wow. Oh. Woof. Wow, Graham. Well, I got to tell you. So so where does – because I know this was your little obsession. Is this the end of of Conway's obsession with the fourth world? No, not – no, Jeff, if only. So Conway – and I, I actually looked into this. There's a, 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 an issue of Back Issue, the Tomorrow's Magazine, which, which talked about this. Conway, it wasn't his idea to bring back the New Gods. It's finally Roy Thomas's idea. Uh-huh. Uh, and Thomas basically – laid the, the the seeds in Carmen Infantino's mind mm-hmm. and Conway just somehow ended up with it. Mm-hmm. So he brings it back in, in first issue special for that issue. The next month he starts Secret Society and New Gods more or less gets written out of the book by like the fifth issue of that. Mm-hmm. Then give it maybe about just under a year and then Conway is editing and writing the Return of the New Gods title. Mm. which lasts for about nine issues. Then mm. that gets cancelled literally before its penultimate issue. Wow. Or, sorry, it gets cancelled with its penultimate issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last issue then gets split across two issues of adventure comics. Oh, interesting. Then, about a year after that, he brings all of the characters back into Justice League of America. Mm-hmm. A three-part story. Mm. Which is Dick Dillon's final issue, because he, he dies after part one. Oh, and Jesus. George Perez's first issue is the following issue of Justice League. Wow. Wow. Huh. And it's a JLA, JSA crossover. So anyone who's got the, the, um, uh, what's it called? Crisis on, on Multiple Earths? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's in one of the volumes of that. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, and I, I have to say, when you were sort of talking about it, I, I kind of had that feeling of like, oh, right, the new gods would be perfect for a JLA, JSA crossover. Because I, I remember when they did the, it was a JLA, JSA Freedom Fighters crossover, I think, unless it was just JLA and the Freedom Fighters. No, no, but it's, it's, it it's, was. A, it's, yeah, it's, it's Crisis on Earth X. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, people just started piling in more and more groups of heroes into those crossovers. Oh, yeah, there's a JSA, JLA legion of superheroes. Oh, my God. Right. (laughs) And there's a JLA, JSA Shazam family one, too, I think. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, just just crazy-ass stuff. Yeah. Um, So, there's Conway kind of has a a, a plot progression. mm -hmm. And then the the Justice League issues are semi-undoing it and then un-undoing it. Wow. So he ends the Return of the New Gods slash Adventure Comics with Darkseid dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what well, technically Darkseid becoming part of the Source Wall. Right. And then he brings him back in the Justice League issues and then ends that by killing Darkseid. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Huh. It, the other thing is, and I told you before, like, I'm going to write about this for the, for the site. Um, Conway's Return of the New Gods either 
accidentally or intentionally sets up a plot for Kirby's Hunger Dogs. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Huh. And I, I still do not know if Kirby read Conway's stuff and ran with this idea, or if the two of them were just thinking the same thing. Hmm. Uh, which is, return the new gods, Conway's issues, sees Darkseid kidnap Isaac. Hmm. And Hunger Dogs, Isaac is the villain. Yes. Isaac is the good guy who's created the micro mark. That's right. And and being twisted by being an, on on Apocalypse for that one. Hmm. Yeah, it's really strange. It's really really strange. That is that's a, that is that's some pretty pretty fascinating crap. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it just occurs to me. Do you think part of it is because of how blocky they are? Part of me is like, you know, I think I think the new gods would probably look pretty good as He Man action figures. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I I I would be I would be in favor of that. Also, let's be honest. The the fourth world mythology would probably fit really well into some sort of like cod sword and sorcery thing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Cut, cut to someone in the comments pointing out that the Masters Universe film is essentially a new god story. Yes, exactly. As everyone points out, the best best portrayal of Darkseid on film is Frank Langella. Uh Yeah, <laughs> and long may it be so. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Hey, so speaking of back issue, did you want to talk a little bit about the Lost West Coast Avengers? I haven't read it. I haven't read it. What? Oh, Graham. Let me tell you, as a brief aside, and then you can talk about it because I do want to hear about it. People with iPads may know this. You may know this. Mm -hmm. Certain PDFs just aren't readable on an iPad right now. Really? Yeah, because uh, there's an iOS update, which means only the top image layer is shows up. Huh. And so for comic PDFs, for example, you only get a lettering pass. I'll um I'll send you a screenshot of wow. the page of 2018, and only the lettering comes through. Wow. Well, uh, so I, I I didn't even attempt to read back issue because I know from past experience, chances are the like. Either the images won't come through or the text won't come through. Okay. Okay. Well, let me let yeah, definitely send me a shot no, and maybe tell tell me all about this because I am excited as hell. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's kind to me. It's sort of over and underwhelming. Like I literally bought it that day and and read a good chunk of it at lunch, and it it makes sense, uh, Dan. Tanderich, who wrote the essay, uh, the the article, um, has different layers of things, um, and therefore, like I kind of expected after Martin Gray gave us the tip off on it that it was going to be like an uh, an interview with Engelhart where he's talking about what he did or was intending to do, and there are short bursts of that. But essentially, Tendrick, perhaps um, unsurprisingly, spends a certain amount of time. He recaps the issues and then talks you know, because because, of course, Engelhart's scripts, what he wanted to do, he ended up getting, you know, yanked off the book too soon. And so he's got like two or three issues that he had planned out that that turn out completely differently. So Tandrick spends a lot of time saying, here's what happened. Then here's what's supposed to happen. 
And then here's like two or three quotes, you know, for me of an interview with Engelhart being like, what, you know, where were you planning on going with this? You know, so, uh, so it's, it's not so much that there were issues completed. Like for some reason, the, the talk of like the lost issues made me think that like there were at least scripts completed that, and, were, that were never seen. And there were scripts. So and he, in fact, quotes from them a, a little bit. And that's how he sort of recaps the issues that don't exist is by is by reading the script. And he even talks about the last issue of West Coast Avengers, where Englehart's script is only in the first half of the book. And then the second half was scripted by somebody else. And in fact, Englehart was waiting for the pages for the second half of the book so that he could dialogue it. And they just never showed up. And so that's amazing. And then so apparently it's not until months, you know, three months later, he sees the book on the newsstands and gets to see how it ends up basically being scripted so you know they took his art and they ran somewhere else yeah exactly so uh and then there's the fill-in issue uh for 38 um you know by dj chichester and and margaret clark and then i think there's there's the plot is listed for that but yeah there's there's a fill-in issue and then there in fact there's two fill-in issues no there's a fill-in issue and then there's mark grunwald's trying to tie everything up Right. And then it's burn like just the, yeah. the issue after that, I think. Just 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 jumping right in. So uh one thing that is interesting is is the way that some of the stuff was addressed, which is Engelhart saying, like, yeah, Tom DeFalco hated what I was doing and kicked me off the book. And, you know, to his credit, um uh Tantric actually asked DeFalco and was like no, no, that's not how I remember it. Like it was kind of, it was weirdly in a way that made me uh, honestly believe DeFalco. Let me see if I can find the quote. It was. Well, no, but that that makes sense because you know mm-hmm. we've both seen Steve Englehart's website where he basically claims to have invented everything. Yes, and he like does. and like, he was pushed out of Marvel for being too you know too cutting edge. Yes, and and I love that shit. Like 1980 Steve Englehart is very much my jam yeah but the idea that he was pushed out of marvel for being too cutting edge is not true yeah 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 yeah. i mean bless his heart uh yeah let's see what what happens what's defalco say um da, 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 da. according to inkelhart uh defalco wanted him out uh disagreements over raises characters and storyline direction simmered one early result precipitated Englehart's removal from West Coast Avengers. That book was just yanked out from under me, Englehart stated in Amazing Heroes 171. That was the first insinuation, intimation that there was anything even wrong, let alone that things were as wrong as they turned out to be. Uh, Englehart says he sent in the plot for what turned out to be his last issue, but didn't receive all the pages back to script dialogue. Then he heard rumors about John Byrne taking over the book. The Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer received editorial mandates by DeFalco, Macchio, and Anderson. Uh, and then, in, where, where is it? That DeFalco is, is like, uh, he never had it out for Englehart. He advocated for Englehart when Craig Anderson wanted to replace him on the Silver Surfer. Uh, regarding raises, DeFalco recalls, when I became editor in chief, I convinced the powers that were that we should reward everyone who signed an exclusive with us. We did this by paying them an additional $5 per page. 
Ah, comics. Englehart inquired about raising his rate, but DeFalco told him he wasn't under an exclusive contract since he was writing for DC Comics as well. Later, Englehart contacted DeFalco again when he wasn't writing for DC and told him he was now eligible for the additional money, but his editors never offered Englehart an exclusive contract. Ooh, Englehart wasn't happy. DeFalco continues, DeFalco continues, a lot of freelancers weren't happy with their page rates. Many argued with me. I never took it personal, nor did I pressure them to quit. I could understand his unhappiness with not getting the additional $5 a page. Trust me, no freelancer ever thinks he's being paid the right rate. I never did. You know, I'm just like, oh, DeFalco, that guy, that guy knows how to play it. Uh, and then he goes on to basically more or less talk about like, you know, I left the editors alone to do their books. The only time I ever came in was if sales were concerned. And it was like West Coast Avengers was in danger of getting canceled. So we brought in Burn to juice the sales. But that's it. Um, so it's, uh, you know, whereas Engelhart's like. That's totally false. I was fired because Marvel had decided they could sell their books with anyone writing them. And I'm like, eh, yeah, oh, poor Steve Englehart. Anyway, so that's a little fun side note. As you know, Graham, even better than I do, a lot of Englehart's ideas got folded into Fantastic Four. So mm-hmm. there's basically we get to see how like the, the whole thing with the return of Ultron uh, starts with. Scarlet Witch breaking out a laptop and talking about how great the Torino XL is, which I'm sort of like, that doesn't, that's not nearly as good exactly. fit. You exactly. Know? It's much more fun with Street Fighters. Also, the other thing that is interesting, and this also makes sense for us, is is that the whole like, oh, the lost issues, Englehart more or less admits, like, he's like, I really don't plot these things out very far because I, I have an idea and then I, I sort of, I write myself into a corner and I write myself out of it. We've talked before about how um, sort of what a generous improviser Engelhart is, you know, as sort of a yes and person. He mm-hmm. really does take that to um, various extremes in his stories. So, for example, after the uh, the West Coast Avengers, it all builds to the the Phantom Rider and Mockingbird letting that character die because of what he did to her spoilers in case people want to read what that is. Cause it's a great set of stories. So what ends up happening is uh, mockingbird and Hawkeye more or less break up because they, he is of the Avengers don't kill uh, side of things. And mockingbird is very much of the, well, yeah, they do. You know, I was an agent of shield first, but also like, come on. So, there's a quote unquote civil war vibe uh, definitely described by the author of this article in that the teams, essentially the West Coast Avenger team breaks splits in two yeah. along. That, and this actually happens in the series like this. Yeah. These happen in the print issues. Yeah. Right. So so there's more of it was supposed to go. Let's see what what ends up happening. Um so basically what what ends up happening in the version that we don't see is mantis returns uh there's a bunch of fights with mantis and the yellow claw and the yellow claws uh list of 
of uh, cronies, most of whom are master of Kung Fu villains. Uh, at West Coast Avengers 39, um, the hip- Avengers are hypnotized by the Yellow Claw. Uh, Yellow Claw, of course, decides to go in and give Mantis a kiss. She smacks him up with a martial arts throw. They have a Kung Fu fight. Uh, Yellow Claw escapes but vows revenge. And then Hawkeye and Mantis kiss. So um, the whole idea is then they are kind of hooking up because, of course, he's split with Bobby. And at that point, Silver Surfer, like, realizes that Mantis is alive, comes to Earth, and the really not very good um, – well, actually, the whole thing with Master Pandemonium and Kang – and then the return of Silver Surfer that we see in the FF more or less Would have happened. Yeah. Right. With West Coast Avengers with Silver Surfer being like, hey, you kissed my girl. Um, and thus, you know, everyone's like, oh, is it going to be the Silver Surfer versus Hawkeye fight that everyone has <laughs> wanted as a matchup? Who has it? Who has it? When you're, you're basically like, who would win in a fight? Hulk versus Thor. Yeah, okay, that's tough. But who would win? Silver Surfer versus Hawkeye, that's a toughie. Mm. So, uh, and yeah, basically, then, of course, Mantis is like, ah, man, so restrictive. I got to go find my kid, you know. So, uh, and then there's some other stuff that's kind of, you know, again, the the Ultron stuff would have been set up and et cetera. Et cetera. So there, there was no resolution of the, the Hawkeye-Mockingbird split? Or for that matter, the split of the team? Uh, right. And that's the thing is, is like Engelhart was like, no, I was going to go there, but I hadn't, you know, essentially like, I don't like to plot that far in advance. I knew that team was going to split. I knew that, that Hawkeye and Mockingbird were going to be split for a while, but I didn't see it permanent. I was going to tease Hawkeye and Mantis, but yeah, there was going to be again, sort of a stronger civil war Avengers who kill or okay with killing and the Avengers who don't. Um, you know, the schism in the team, but there's no Engelhart hadn't come up with any sort of resolution or anything like that. So, so that's kind of the thing. Part of me is sort of like, it's, it's very, it's very tantalizing, but, but the article is a lot of, lot of recapping, which thanks to Baxter building, we had read a lot of, and I think I'd even read most of the West coast Avengers issues that he's recapping at that mm. point. So, you know, it's uh, it was, it, it's not exactly what we both were excited about. So yeah, saying. unfortunately, no. As it, as exciting as it was, but that being said, it's back issue. Like the piece right after that is a super long article about pizzazz, uh, which I don't know if you know. <laughs> no, I I do know pizzazz. You should explain pizzazz for the listeners, however. Uh, pizzazz is the a book that Marvel launched as sort of a teen magazine uh, back in the 70s that was going to have comics in it as well as articles about things that teens are into. So you got lots of like um, – you would get covers. Here's David Cassidy plus a Spider-Man comic. Yeah, exactly. Like there's literally a photo of Sean Cassidy and the Hulk. You know, there's and there's a photo of like 
from the Marvel TV shows. So there's a couple, there's a shot of the 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 long forgotten Nicholas Hammond Spider Man show and the still fondly remembered Hulk TV show. But you know, there's like a there's like a cover with like Meatloaf on there, who's probably saying something like, "Anyone got any toast?" Or you know, interestingly enough, what I did not realize, Dynamite Magazine, which I loved, which was published by Scholastic starting in 1973, which always had like in the center of it had a wonderful little comic section that was like two pages, usually of a comic hero's origin, and then would have like a a fun little FAQ page on the next page that was uh, actually founded by Jeanette. Jeanette Kahn. Kahn. Yeah, yeah. Which I was like, I did not know. So yeah, that's I, as far as I know, I think that's one of the reasons why she got the DC job, which makes sense. I mean, it totally makes sense. That thing ran for 18 years. And I have to say just the one little tiny photo they have of the dynamite covers with the logos. I'm like, Oh, Oh, be still my heart. How I loved Dynamite Magazine back when I was like seven and eight years old. So, One of the amazing things about the uh, back issues of Secret Society of Supervillains is that it's when Jeanette Kahn takes over as publisher of DC. Mm-hmm. And they've got the, the editorials. Mm-hmm. They've got like her first few editorials and they're just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was she was pretty great. Um Ah, DC. Well, so, uh, yeah, Graham. So sadly, when you get around to back issue, when you do have a working copy, uh, that can do things. And I, I think I've mentioned it before. I don't know. Maybe you're still using it, but did you ever end up using Goodreader as your PDF app or no? I didn't because I completely forgot. I will look into Goodreader. You, you should because it, it, it works, it works well for all my stuff. I think I told you it takes the, takes that, um, watermark off all the GIT core stuff, like pretty much Which automatically. Which is very exciting, I've got yeah. to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So definitely worth worth looking into, sir. I mean it's like a it's I think it's like a five dollar app. It is it is something that I use all the time and it's great. So especially if you are the sort of person who say stores some of your comics in say like a Dropbox or something like that and you want to be able to like download stuff you know to your ipad very quickly good readers got the tools to connect with your dropbox folders and stuff like that it's a it's a it's it's a good thing i i should i shall definitely look into it i'm kind of sad that that's that issue back issue is is not great please tell me this however i do know that there's supposed to be a marvel uk section in there as well yeah i mean there's a ton of stuff that one piece did not actually uh fry my burger but looking through it it's like <clears throat> There's a whole article about Denny O'Neill, the Marvel years. Like I said, there's the pizzazz stuff. There's the British UK, Marvel UK stuff with some gorgeous looking promo art. There's I, like I a, don't get every issue of, of Back Issue, but I do check in with it a bunch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I probably get a couple of issues a year, but I generally try and keep up with what that and um, Alter Ego and the Jack Kirby Collector are doing. Right. Because, you know, more often than not – there's going to be something in there that's going to fry my burger. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you get it digitally, it's like $5 for, they're normally like, you know, a hundred odd pages. Yeah. No. And I mean, this one's, this has a huge piece on Carmen Infantino, the Marvel years complete with an, uh, an old interview with him talking about his time at Marvel. 
uh, yeah, the Brit, you know, the British, uh, it says unknown Marvel, the batty British fans of the 1970s. That sounds intriguing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a, a whole article on Marvel Comics presents, uh, on Speedball, the Silver Age superhero from the Copper Age. Uh, <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I gotta say, I definitely, cause I think Martin Gray, who pointed this, uh, this issue out to us, and I'm very grateful for, it's just, it is loaded up with enough stuff. He mentions that he, he, subscribes digitally to it and it's pretty inexpensive and i'm like ooh, ooh, it's so tempting uh but you know but again i'm just i'm swimming in this stuff if it wasn't yeah. i could really honestly take a break from buying comics and easily spend like the next six months just catching up on stuff i really really want to read you know are you ever tempted to do that uh, you know, I, I ask because mm-hmm. I also just have a backlog of stuff. Right. I mean, I was talking, I think, last episode about finally reading Return of the New Gods, which I got six months ago, if not longer. Yeah, I think like it was like longer. a long time ago, and mm-hmm. just hadn't read. I still haven't read the Captain Victory issues I got. Right. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. No, I I know what you mean. Uh, I you know the thing that's kind of funny is, and we've talked about this before, is. Uh, there's the keeping up with comics as they come out to be able to sort of be part of the discussion. I mean, honestly, I think if we, you know, for podcasting purposes, we probably, I probably could get away with just reading, catching up on my reading and being like, Mm -hmm. no, Graham, what is going on with the latest issue of blank? And you could exactly. Yeah. You could tell me, and I think we've gone through patches of that before, but I kind of do sort of want to keep my toe in. And weirdly enough, there is a, I do like one, one of the things if, if when I get into work on a Wednesday morning, if things are quiet enough, getting a cup of coffee and going over and looking at what came out on, on Comixology Mm-hmm. Plus, there's books that I have subscriptions to and waking up and seeing that those issues are available for download. And when I get to work, they download in like, you know, like 45 seconds or something like that is is kind of a I like that feeling. I really do. Um, so I don't I don't I don't know. I sort of feel like like comics has become sort of a. uh it used to be like one compact, dense little ball of stuff, you know, like I could just mm-hmm. sort of read new comics or read a series or something and kind of get my uh, the itch scratched in just that one way. But now I sort of feel like it's a little bit of like, oh, I get a little bit of this scratched by manga and I get a little bit of this scratched by reading weirdo, you know, British reprints or, you know, sure. but there is a there is something that does sort of scratch an itch by continuing to pick up new comics from from DC and Marvel and Image. I mean, I don't talk about it, but as you know, I you know, I I could if if I wanted to continue tonight's um uh, paradigm of complaining about comics, like The Walking Dead has kind of been like in the toilet for like the last 
four or five or six issues. That's something that, you know, I won't talk about for like years at a time, but is probably, you know, is absolutely a book that I'm subscribed to and is absolutely one of those books that I usually knock out the first day or two within downloading, you know? Um, so there's, there is, there's a lot of, I don't know. It's, it's, it's odd. The, cause if you get to the sweet spot with comics, it kind of feels like, Oh, the world's your oyster and you can just yeah. choose anything and read anything. Um, and, and yet if you sort of, if you sort of, uh, widen that, diopter enough it's paralyzing in terms of the amount of stuff that's just available you know um anyway i want to i want to spin off what you were saying and uh, talk about because i said for like i was looking to read things i wouldn't normally read right and uh, two first issues from marvel this week that are are both outside my wheelhouse and yet i actually enjoyed both much more than i anticipated mm-hmm. um the new black widow series mm-hmm it's uh I think it's a five issue mini because I think all Marvel minis these days are five issues weirdly enough. Huh. Um it's five issue mini written by the Soska sisters. Oh really? Jen and Sylvia Soska who did like a bunch of horror work, sort of like, you know, mid level horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh as writer directors in in let's be generous and say like three or four or five years ago. Wow. Um they write a surprisingly fun comic. I I did not expect it to be as quote unquote fun as it was. Huh, that's great. They they seem to and I it sounds strange to say it's fun when, you know, part of the plot is the Black Widow is going to rescue, you know, kidnapped girls who are being forced into essentially like torture porn. Right. Like that does not sound like a fun. It doesn't comic. sound fun yet, in any way, yeah. And yet it is fun. The tone is weirdly playful, mm-hmm. um, because of continuity stuff that I am literally only half aware of. Mm-hmm. The Black Widow died in, in Secret Empire and came back to life somehow, but everyone thinks she's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it plays off of that by sending her to Madripoor, mm-hmm. where she literally gets dressed up in Wolverine's disguise from the 1980s series. <laughs> Complete with eye patch. Oh my god, that's, that's hilarious. What, that's why, like, that's fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you get her basically. So it starts off with essentially a Secret Empire parody, while she is narrating about what happened to her during Secret Empire. Oh wow! So like, there's Captain America is confronting another Captain America, mm-hmm. and they're basically like, "Oh my god, everyone pretends to be Captain America these days. It's so boring." <laughs> You know, there's stuff like that. And, and um, this fake Captain America is planning to set off Mad Bombs, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a little reference that I didn't expect to see. Yeah, that's... It's a fun comic. It's a weirdly fun comic. Huh. It's by someone called Flaviano, who I know nothing about, mm-hmm. but it's nice enough. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing's going to knock my socks off, but it 100% does the job. Um, on an entirely different side of the spectrum, Invaders issue one, uh, Chip Zdarsky, Carlos Magno, oh, and yeah. mm-hmm. Ice mm-hmm. is not fun. Oh, it's, it's like intentionally. No, I, but I don't mean that in sense of it's bad. I actually oh, I like see. lunch. Oh, good. But it's intentionally the um, it's the point of view is more or less Namor is traumatized and something has gone wrong with Namor, mm-hmm. and the Avengers want to beat Namor up. 
but Captain America and the Human Torch, Robot Human Torch, um, basically like, no, we have to save him because we were in the war together. Right. <laughs> like, you, you can't just, like, we can't just beat him up. There has right. to be something more. Something has happened to him, and it's our duty to save him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that, like, it worked really well. I, I'm repeatedly surprised by how much I appreciate Chips Darcy's writing. Mm-hmm. And how well he does serious emotional work. Mm-hmm. He really you know, does, yeah. Like, we knew he could do comedy really well. Mm-hmm. But his, his, he does really nice, subtle, serious character work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is another example of it. And unlike something like Spectacular Spider-Man or, or Marvel 2 in 1, it's not hidden behind jokes. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, Spectacular Spider-Man had some really nice character work in there. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man is a lighthearted character, and Zdarsky was very aware of that. Right. And so, like he'd he'd be the comedy, he'd be the quip. It's just, and that's not present in Invaders at all. Hmm. And, but it's not lacking in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Like it works as a good dramatic work. Um and so I find I find myself as someone who honestly doesn't really care about any of those characters mm-hmm. going, Oh, I want to know where the story goes. I want to know how this ends up. This is mm-hmm. this is a really interesting take on these characters for me. So yeah, both really paid off. Um and in large part by playing against type. I'd mm-hmm. expect Zdarsky to be fun. I'd expect Black Widow to be done in the noir setting. Right. Playing against that, both books really worked for me. Well, that's great. Hmm. Yeah. Who knew? Look, look at me complimenting Marvel books. I yeah. Oh, seriously. Man. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I have something in my uh, to-read list that is not even out yet, um, but I get, I get sent as a please read this as a prelude to an interview. Mm-hmm. And... Even just glancing through, I didn't realize how much I wanted to read it. And I thought I wanted to read it a lot, which is uh, Cecil Castellucci and Adriana Malo's Female Furies book. Mm. Which yeah. looks like it's going to be a much more sly comedy and satire of society than I thought it was going to be. Wow. And I am very interested in it after glancing through it super quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like it, it is very much going to be uh, no one ever took Granny Goodness seriously because she was a woman. Here is Granny Goodness's origin, and here is how she's planning to fuck up everyone out of payback and out of bitterness. Interesting. And I'm like, okay, sure, I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds. Uh, I gotta admit, that sounds decent. I always thought the Female Furies uh, could be a really fun book and that sounds like a really um good take on it and a good team so you know that kirby wanted to spin them off right uh i didn't there was a big part and the female furies book that he had pitched oh really i didn't know that but it's not surprising it of course you know that's great so yeah i'm I'm really really looking forward to it and also the the, at least the first cover is by mitch garaz and it's lovely Mm. i don't know if you saw the um, I think Bleeding Cool has it. Someone has leaked the, the DC solicits. For the second month running, DC, you've got to fucking fix your security, dudes. Yeah, no shit. The second month running, someone has leaked DC solicits. But Mitch Garaz is doing varying covers for Flash now, or will be. Wow. And they're lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're really, really nice. Mm. Oh, that sounds great. Hmm. 
Yes. Yeah. More of that, please. Yes, indeed. More of that soon. Uh, any other comic book news worth talking about? I feel there must be. I'm trying to think what, what's been announced this week. I really um, did not pay attention at all this week. Diamonds released their top sellers of, of the year. Mm-hmm. 2018 and it really showed that marvel's uh you know by x number of issue one like order incentives works 100 percent. yeah seven of the top 10 were marvel books Oof. um and interestingly enough only one of the top 10 graphic novels was a marvel book Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the rest were image and of the image books three of them were saga shit yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is like, oh, now well, you understand why Image are probably sad that Brian Bond, you know, Staples have put Saigon hold. Well, I mean, Image is maybe sad, but not nearly as sad as a lot of comic book retailers are, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. One thing that I did read was uh, not really comic back book news, but uh, Big Bang Comics, which normally does their little weekly threads of their top sellers, or maybe it's a monthly thread, they did a thread about their top books, their top selling comics of 2018. Uh, and then uh, I'd missed the earlier thread where they ran down the list of their top hundred graphic novels. Um, and it was interesting because they, and they were talking about like saga saga placed so high uh, and multiple volumes, of course. And yeah, it's just, I got to tell you, I wish there was a advisor or somebody where it's like if people are like, hey, I'm going to like we're burnt. We need to take time off like they can talk to someone because, you know, image is not it's it's a co-op. It's not a traditional publisher. They can't turn around and be like, OK, well, you know, we're going to hire, um, you know, Sam Humphreys and uh Sal Basima to draw you know to do saga the the last years or something while you guys are recovering you know but but I feel like sometimes there are times of like look you guys can't you can't you, it's not great to like leave a lot of the retailers in the lurch on this they a lot of them I mean it paid off for them but it really does come into that going concern of like you know, will they still be able to sell Saga volumes without the trades coming back? Will they be able to sell Saga volumes if, you know, Vaughn and Staples never come back? Like, you know. Well, and also, will they be able to sell Saga volumes when it comes back? Yeah, that's it. Those are those are all a whole bunch of huge questions that uh, is really there's it's times like that or. You know, some of the stuff that's happened with some of Image's other publications where I'm just like, ah, God, you know, creators, like, I know it's tough, but, and life can get in the way, but, oh. You, you may or may not remember, but I talked to Vaughn um, after the, the hiatus was announced mm-hmm. um, for THR. And one of the questions I asked was basically like, you know, are you doing something to fill in the gap? Mm-hmm. Like, is there going to be a lost year? Is there going to be like whatever, right. like some, you know, the official handbook of the saga universe? Yeah. And he was really against it. Yeah. Like he basically was like, no, that's going to dilute the brand. No, that's oh. that's a bad idea. That 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 would hurt. No. 
no, no. I mean, I kind of get what he's saying because I feel like he's sort of, you know, the way they sort of pitched Saga was like, yeah, we're doing, you know, what we're taking time off between arcs to recharge, but, you know, it's kind of like we're just, we're very straightforwardly doing this at the top of our powers and, and a variety of things that are, you know, designed to like not, they're not just cashing in on the brand, but, but there's a difference between that and reminding readers that it's, that there's something that's there or there's something for them to hold on to even just that emotional attachment, you know, that can really fade. It's like you, you shouldn't let. Well, that's, that's the thing that I'm that. really interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this year question mark is going to do for Saga? Right. Like yeah. it might bring uh, Vaughn and Staples back energized, mm-hmm. but is the audience still going to be there? Or are they going to have to? Are they going to have moved on? We know that they don't move on when Saga goes away for like three or four months in between arcs, right? But that's really different from a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, if nothing else, I hope that if they do come back, one thing that would behoove them is to put some money aside for a much much larger ad outreach than you would normally get you know like just layer that because you know i feel like von has done a couple of surveys you know uh with the readers in the letters columns i sort of trailed off but i know it used to be sort of a you know an annual tradition type thing so hopefully he got some sort of info that could translate well to like, you know, targeted ads or something. Cause I just, I just think, think that it would be a shame. I, I don't think so. Cause no, I think half of his, half of his things were kind of like, you know, back when you were a kid, like what were the top three professions that you thought you'd end up doing? Oh, no, 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 no. When I said you think, I, I guess I was asking like, do you think that an ad campaign is appropriate would work uh like where, where do you advertise and what do you say like the series is back yeah i i, I don't like i don't know well, here's the other thing jeff you and i could completely be worry words for nothing sure you know they could announce you know it's saga issue i honestly don't remember what issue is like 41 or something right. um you know saga issue 41 is out and the orders are exactly where they are or the retailers might just push for it anyway because mm-hmm. because they want it to be a hit well sure no but how do i put it like that i mean separate and apart from what the retailers do i just mean that you've got to get the when you when you take an audience and you give them uh, you know a regular reoccurring product and then you stop for a period of time like you know, if you're lucky, you get in the situation where people go, they don't see Saga and they pick up some other book on the shelves and then they get hooked on that and they keep going. But so, some people just sort of go stop. away or drift away. Yeah, yeah, they do. They stop. There is that that attrition is is much faster, you know, so letting people know that it's back and figuring out a way to make that be as splashy as possible you know 
with whatever a double sized line cat issue, you know, that's regular price. I don't. Well, I mean, that's, that's just it. Do you do a, a primer issue or a story so far issue for, right. you know, essentially nothing, right? For like twenty five cents, right? The month before. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea how much you pay attention to Archie these days, mm-hmm. but Wade finished with whatever issue he finished with, like thirty something. Mm-hmm. And then that left two issues, or an issue between that and what would be Archie seven hundred. Mm-hmm. And so Archie published a story so far issue mm. for, for super cheap before mm-hmm. seven hundred, which was like the start of an expanded run. And that seems super smart to me, right? Right. Because it's basically saying like you can buy these stories in trades if you're interested, but if you just want to catch up, here's how you catch up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that I think you're right. I think that I think that's not a bad idea. I just think that they need to do a lot. And for myself, again, I'm just very heartbroken by the fact that the retailers who, you know, again, they took a gamble on Saga and it paid off, you know, at least in the short term. But, you know, for the long term, the the uh, their ability to still sell this stuff and or you know, to not lose their shirts on the future issues going forwards, it's it's a real it's a real gamble for them at a time where, you know, as always, it's it's hard for these guys to have to gamble with this stuff. You know, it, there is the thing of like, why not just turn around and play it safe with DC and Marvel product at that point? You know, because because DC is never going to ship an issue of Batman late. You know, God, I wish I could say it's I was the gonna, same I was for Marvel, say, but yeah. Yeah, but also, yeah. like, they are. It might be like a week or so late, but they're going to, you know, <laughs> they will They will do their best to get those issues out. Put sure, absolutely. But they're not going to be like, oh, Batman's going on hiatus for a year. And you're really going to like him when he comes back. Spoilers. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, I just don't think that that's going to – so, you know, I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. But it is – it's it, – it's something that fills me with a certain amount of woe. You know? Along the lines of uh, people coming in and picking up other things, mm-hmm. one of the other things I was really surprised about, another of the top ten graphic novels of the year, yeah. uh, Paper Girls Volume 1. Yeah, yeah. I did not realize that book was as successful as it was. It, it, but appa- apparently it is. If, it, mm-hmm. if Volume 1 is still in the top ten books for last year. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, it's weird. I don't know why I thought that it was. Uh, maybe it's because of you know um, his stuff charts well digitally, but I swear between sort of the number of times it pops up on Hoopla, if you look under popular and or issues or volumes when they go on sale chart on Comixology's bestseller list. It, it did make me think there's a little more it's it's it yeah, it's not saga big, but it's it's surprisingly it's, it's got an big, audience. Yeah. yeah. So it's which I mean genuinely surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, let let me give you the thing. Do you want the, the top ten comics? Yeah, please. Ten, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the top ten comic books of, of last year. Mm-hmm. Action Comics a thousand was issue one. Ah, was number yeah. one. Right. Is this by dollars uh, or units, sorry? Uh, this is by units. Okay. Mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 800 is number two. Right. Batman issue 50 is, issue, is number three. Wow. Fantastic Four number one is number four. That is Which shocking. Which is where I'm like, 
really that's an order incentive there's no fucking way absolutely absolutely amazing spider-man number one is issue is number five right wolverine number one is number six that's venom number one is number seven wow amazing spider-man seven nine eight number eight batman Mm -hmm. who laughs number nine which is genuinely stunning because that came out in december yeah seriously that's like one month of sales that must have been absurd okay yeah Yeah. that's staggering yeah Uh, and amazing spider-man 799 is number 10 talking about that it just reminds me for december dc took seven of the top 10 best-selling comics wow isn't that nuts wow that is amazing. You know, it's a shame now that the beat doesn't run those uh, columns anymore. I, I'm going to have to start jumping over to the always impenetrable for me to read um, other site. Uh, wow. That's what other well, site Comic-Con or ICV? Yeah. Comic-Con or ICV. Like I, I think it's I, ICV. I like, I like Comic-Con's uh, roundups. Oh, okay. I, I, I think he puts things in, in a good uh, point of view. Okay, so here is December, very quickly. Batman Who Loves number one is number one. Right. Batman Damns issue two, number two. Wow. Doomsday Clock issue eight, number three. Mm-hmm. Batman 60, number four. Batman 61, number five. Amazing Spider-Man 11, number six. Fantastic Four, five, number seven. Amazing Spider-Man 12, number eight. Batman Annual three, number nine. And Shazam issue one, number ten. That's nuts to me. That is, that is crazy. That is crazy. Uh, huh. Yeah. So Jeff Johns, Batman, actually, one of the things that you were saying about those top 10, the top 10 comics. Oh, uh, yeah. For 2018, Dan Slott wrote four of them. Yes, exactly what I was going to say, which is like, I mean, admittedly, it's the, the wrap up of his, you know, super long, amazing Spider-Man run. But that's, that's some pretty it's serious amazing. heft. I, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Lancelot should be going to, to Marvel and be like, okay, I'll, I'll take that raise now. Yeah, no shit. No shit. Wow. Well, okay, so... Um, so graphic novels and trade paperbacks. Yeah, please. Best-selling graphic novel of 2018? Infinity Gauntlet. Ah, uh, yes, I should have known that. Yeah. Marvel's only entry in the collections as well. And it's from, what, Sag- 1991 or whatever? Yep. Like, yeah. Saga Volume 9, number 2. Saga Volume 1, number 3. Saga Volume 8, number 4. Oof. Action Comics, 80 Years of Superman, hardcover, number 5. Walking Dead, Volume 29, number 6. Paper Girls, Volume 1, number 7. Batman White Knight, number 8. Dark Knight's Metal, number 9. And Monstrous, Volume 1, number 10. Wow, Monstrous. Wow, that's fabulous. Monstrous is big. Yeah, 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 yeah. As well it should be. But wow, that's fabulous. Uh... Holy smokes. Huh. That's really, that's some interesting shit. Some interesting shit. I got to say, uh, it definitely, I know that you and I had talked about 20 going into 2018 with a lot of worry about the retailers and the comics market. And it really, I guess we got proven wrong, which is kind of comics, comic sales, uh, single issue sales were up like 6% in 2017, which is kind of stunning to me. Graphic novel sales were down. Ah, interesting. Huh, that's weird. Comic sales were up, which is genuinely strange. Comic sales were up, uh, sorry, they weren't, they were up 3.3%. Mm-hmm. And graphic novel sales were down 6%, 6.6%. That's a shame, because that means a lot of stores could be hit pretty hard, despite selling more comics, of course. Mm-hmm. Oof. Huh, interesting. Okay, well, 
that's weird. Did does anyone uh did anyone put forward theories? You know, I haven't seen I haven't seen Hibbs's column. I feel like we're overdue for a tilting. I feel like Hibbs did one. one. No, I feel like Hibbs did a column like maybe a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. Oh shit! I it was it, it was before it was before this came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it his um, rundown I, I of the year or no? I honestly can't remember, and I, I might be misremembering that there was one. No, it sounds right because I just don't I I, I don't check. Uh, the beat as much as I do. I, for whatever reason, I feel like I've drifted away from comics news overall enough, and the resulting peace of mind has been great. I was going to uh, say, I'm sure you're not regretting it that much. No, I definitely am not. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think what other comics news happened this week. Um, oh, Marvel announced a comic that, to my mind, should really be called the yeah, we're just trying to release everything and flood the market, number one. Uh, <laughs> the Symbiote Spider-Man, issue one, a flashback to when Spider-Man had the alien costume but didn't know it was a, a symbiote. Wow. By Peter David and Greg Land. Oh. Ah. Ooh. I mean, really, there's nothing about that that doesn't say, like, we just we had to have an extra issue out there, and I guess this is it. You know, uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I wanted to ask, do you feel that there is any sense of Sobolski as editor-in-chief influencing where Marvel goes or what Marvel does? Because I no. do – Yeah? Okay, so – Do you? Well, I'm not sure. I guess – I mean – Things at Marvel, like there's a chunk of Marvel that seems weirdly shittily retro in a way. Yes, that's, that's true. But it's again, um, no, actually, you're, you're entirely right. If I, I've been excusing a lot of that as like, it's their 80th anniversary year. Mm-hmm. But they are doing like a lot of like retro and reprint projects this year. Mm-hmm. That, that feels, to me, as much anything as a market grab as it does like an anniversary celebration. Well, sure. It's market grab, anniversary celebration, you know, flood the market. And and there's a lot of the, you know, the whole like Marvel, the uh, David Gabriel's like, yeah, we, we've got to we've got to bring back the lapsed fan. Like, you know, there was a lot of like, yeah, we're definitely breaking out the nostalgia moves and 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 trying to bring people back into the fold. But it just somehow seems like I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, shitty, shitty, useless reprints. You know, that's kind of such a classic Marvel move, you know? You know what's hilarious? We're talking about this, and I've forgotten the major news of the week. Oh, yeah. Rob Liefeld's new X-Men series. Oh, right. Liefeld on X-Men. Yeah, I saw that in a passing tweet or so. Yeah. Trying to find the email for the major X. (laughs) An all-new six-issue miniseries written by the creator who introduced the world to Deadpool, Cable, and X-Force, industry legend Rob Liefeld. He's not drawing at all. That's potentially good. I mean, chances are good. That means all six issues will ship somewhat within the year that they're well, announced. Well, they'd have so. to because it's a bi-weekly series. <laughs> wow. Wow. Huh. Okay. Well, maybe they got most of it in the can then. Yeah. He, apparently, he's been working on this for a while. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. 
but it is Life Elves, someone called Brent Peebles, whose name I know, but I don't know why I know, mm-hmm. and uh, Will Spertaccio on art. Oof. Oh, boy. Well. Uh, those 1990s. They're, they're most definitely going for those 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. So again, part of me is like, ah, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that was. Also, I, I, I could be wrong. I think it's set in the 1990s or like the, the 1990s era of X-Men, not the 1990s. Oh, uh, right. Right. Uh, wow. Well, I have to say that's, uh, that, I mean, I think of that as some pretty weak sauce, but what the heck? Remember when people were like, I can't wait for Jonathan Eggman to take over X-Men <laughs> and instead you have like the, inexplicably bad uncanny x-men reboots and this you know just out of curiosity what has hickman been up to is he got like some he must have some huge mega mega thing under his belt or else he's still just recovering from massive burnout but what is he um, I, it, it, uh the rumors that he was in legion superheroes for dc Right, and the contracts were essentially signed. Yeah, and then at the same time, there were rumors that he was doing X Men for Marvel. Right, and again, contracts were signed, mm-hmm. and it like I couldn't tell which were real, mm-hmm. and obviously he wouldn't be doing both because right. I think Kickman had made enough statements of how much work it was doing Avengers. Mm-hmm. To, to not want to do two franchises at once. Yeah. Um, based on some of the teases that Bendis has been giving out recently, mm-hmm. I think it's Bendis is going to do Legion, mm-hmm. uh, which would suggest if Hickman is going to do one of the big titles, it's X-Men, especially because the, again, really bad um, Uncanny X-Men relaunch has been, from what I've heard, like a rush job because the planned relaunch wasn't ready. Hmm. Which suggests that it might be the Hickman one. Wow. Um, if that is true, it's nuts to me that they did it by bringing back Uncanny X-Men. Mm-hmm. As Uncanny X-Men had, had gone for a while. Like it, it, it had been off the shelves for about a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The idea that you bring it back for what is essentially a fill-in book mm-hmm. seems nonsensical to me. Like right. bring it back for your big title, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but maybe not. Like I, I don't run Marvel, no. <laughs> but again, consider the fact that Uncanny X-Men One is not one of the top-selling books of 2018, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I think says a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I I don't know. Well, we'll see what happens. I have to say, I would have been much happier seeing uh, Hickman on Legion of Superheroes than probably Bendis. As much as I really am, I I enjoy eighty percent of what Bendis is doing on the Superman titles. Well, I'm enjoying that a lot. It's the twenty percent that really frustrates me or leaves me cold. I'm trying to figure out how to deal with, but uh, so. But I really feel like of the two, I would say that Legion seems so much in Hickman's wheelhouse that it's a that whatever happened, it's kind of a shame that it's not happening. Maybe, you know, maybe it will in a couple of years, but still. So, yeah, I mean, I. uh, I can't imagine Hickman on. 
Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I can't imagine Hickman. I can't imagine the what I think of the optimism necessary for Legion mm. to to be in Hickman's wheelhouse. Don't you think his uh, his, his FF ran on a lot of a uh, certain amount of optimism or an acknowledgement that optimism had to uh, work or um, a certain amount? Yes, but that was mixed in with a certain amount of fatalism. Isn't the right way of putting it? Cynicism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is just me being too protective of the legion here right i would rather not see that kind of cynicism and, and i don't know why because i think there have been really good runs of legion that have mixed the cynicism with the optimism mm-hmm. uh it's just that i think in those runs this optimism is ultimately proven to be the victor i guess mm-hmm. and i'm not sure if that would be the case in hickman again i'm i'm projecting wildly and, and honestly being far too protective of of a a fictional concept that has been rebooted, you know, four times at this point. Right. Um, so, you know, do you have do you have a dream is- team of of current modern day creators that you'd love to see do Legion? Yeah, but it's like you know Jeff Parker and Talk Shaner, which <laughs> you know DC would never put on that book because, understandably, it would probably sell, you know, not as well as they'd want for Legion. Although, who knows? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it could be I, – I feel that there's an audience for Legion beyond the, the nostalgia audience, mm-hmm. but I don't know how to tap into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean I totally agree, and I feel like weirdly enough, um, the Legion seems like so close to a slam dunk uh, if they could get the people who watch the DC TV shows sort of – into it like right yeah yeah i think so you know anyway well uh graham that's kind of i'm kind of a that's sort of a sad trombone way to You're like yes yeah, so that's where we're ending this week yeah but i mean I, I i almost feel like sadly it's uh, it's like i'm like yeah i really want to power through to some deeper level of 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 legion discussion but I, part of me is like I just don't think I got it in me. So unless you're <laughs> unless you're planning on bringing it, you know, that's um, a shame because that's our new replacement for Baxter Building. That's right, everyone. You shouldn't say that. That actually is going to get so many people all fired up and be like, "What? What? Oh, wait, you're you're joking? Like you? What? Why are you?" But to be fair, we did discuss it. Yeah, it's true. We absolutely like it, it, it wasn't serious consideration. Yeah, it was it was one of the top contenders, I would say. So it's just not where we ended up going, but that just means that you still don't know what we are doing. That's right. That's right. So just just keep keep your ears open for Welcome to Ape Town, uh, our discussion of the Marvel's Planet of the Apes original black and white. No, we're not doing that either. That wasn't even discussed, sadly, which is which is a shame because if you had just if you had brought that up, that <laughs> might have had a chance. You know, if I had mentioned that it was called Welcome to Ape Town, I bet yep. you would have been like, "Yeah, I'm in." <laughs> yep, that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, shame, shame, shame. Uh, 
so Graham, we're, uh, this is, as listeners know, this was not a Baxter building. The Baxter building is, uh, finito. Is no more. Is no more. Yeah. But we, we plan to launch our, our next, uh, read along, uh, next month, right? So. Jeff, here's the crazy thing. I think the next episode is actually going to be. No. Is it? Yeah. Oh my god, let me look at the calendar. I, 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 I'm afraid you're probably right. That's, oh no. Oh no. Well, that makes sense, cause we've got a skip week. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Alright, let me look. Let me look here. Well, here's the other thing. I had forgotten that January was so exceptionally long. Mm-hmm. I, by which I mean, I was looking at the calendar with someone the other day and I went, there's still two weeks left? What the fuck is happening this Yeah, time? seriously, it is insane. I gotta admit, it is, it is. So I could, I could be wrong. Uh. No, I am. I am in fact wrong. There's, there's right. a way up between now and then. That's right. Thank God, Graham. You were freaking me out, man. I gotta tell you. Anyway, listeners. <laughs> Listeners, again, ignore me. It's clear, it's clear we're a well-oiled machine that knows exactly what it's doing. Well, to be fair, we do know when we're recording the first episode of this next thing. That is like, true. We have had that on the calendar for like a month and a half now. That's right. And people who have, uh, who subscribe to Patreon, um, uh, we, we made the announcement. They you. already yeah. know. And I have to say, everyone's done a fantastic job. Of keeping it under under wraps, despite the fact that that they ever most we we got a lot of positive feedback too. So, you know, non Patreon listeners, it's right around the corner, and we think you're going to be delighted when it happens. Uh, but I have to say, everyone, all of our Patreon uh, people who who responded were so delighted that it makes me think that there's going to be a lot of people very happy. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I think so too. Yep. Are you eating something, Jeff? No. Uh, professionalism. We get all the way to the end, and then you get so snacky that you're like, we've been talking for two and a half hours. Yeah. Listen, I'm just, just going to have something to eat. Well, just, so, just give me this. This know, is when I'm going to step in and mm-hmm. tell everyone. And Jeff, keep eating. I'm going to tell everyone that show notes for this episode are going to be up at waitwhatpodcast.com. We have a Tumblr at waitwhatpodcast.com. <sighs> Jeff is just... I guess finished eating. Uh, we have an Instagram, wait what, uh, sorry, Instagram forward slash wait what pods. We have a Twitter account at wait what podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at eating loudly on microphone. <laughs> at lazy bastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S. I'm, I'm getting the I, sense I should have muted is what you're saying. <laughs> no, my favorite thing honestly was I didn't know until you started talking while eating. <laughs> It's like, Jeff, just don't do that. That's giving the game away, dude. Anyway, Jeff, Jeff's at LazyBastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And as we've just talked about, there's a Patreon. Mm-hmm. There's a Patreon, everyone. Jeff, are you suitably finished so that you can indeed uh, t- tell people about our Patreon? Yes, Graham. I'm finished eating. So, listeners, uh, I'm a vegan, or at least I am for the year 2019. Yes, that's right. Edie and I. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I am, I am 19 days a vegan, uh, which sounds actually like a bad Bruce Jones story that would be in creepy back in like 1979. 
No, oh, I was going to say, it's like, oh, I, I, it, an amazing film that star Brad Pitt. Oh, God. Yeah. I, a lot of Oscars. <laughs> Ooh, 19 days of vegan. Uh, or, or James Franco, maybe, where he, like, chews through his own arm, but refuses to actually swallow because that would be eating a meat product. Uh, so, um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So the problem with being a vegan is you're pretty much, it's been great. I've been enjoying it. Eating and I have both liked it. There have been a lot of new favorite foods that have come in to play. Uh, but I, I swear to God, I get hungry ravenously. So maybe every two to three hours. So, uh, while we were, uh, I, I grabbed a small fig and date bar and I, at a certain point, I I honestly was like, I'm just gonna pass out. And clearly, I wasn't thinking because I didn't I didn't mute myself. Which, boy oh boy, listeners, if you only knew what Graham did when he mutes himself. Anyway, so I'll just tell you all, listeners, for some reason, I've been muting myself a lot tonight because I've been making the loudest farts imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been able to hear it, listeners. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the mic would have picked them up. I have to say that was a bluff that really paid off well for me. I thank you, Graham. That <laughs> wait, was wait, is it a bluff if I just come out and say it? Well, no, no. But I was making noises about like I I don't know what you do when you're on mute because you're muted. So that's why I'm like that was awesome. Thank you so much. I really I I appreciate you, Graham. I appreciate you. Whatever uh, I can do for you, Jeff. <laughs> Anyway, so yes, uh, listeners, you are the best, and we are incredibly grateful to everyone who listens to this podcast, uh, especially people who listen on weeks like this where Jeff feels like he's maybe not doing a great job uh, conveying his passion for comics, uh, which is which is a darn shame because they – they're but here's the thing. Them. If you didn't care so much about comics, you wouldn't be so disappointed when you're disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. Thanks, Graham. I got to tell you, you're really, you're really saving us here. You're prop, propping up this back end here. Uh, we're grateful to all of our listeners uh, and the group of listeners on Patreon who throw us a little bit of the old uh, cosmic coin to um, – uh, help keep us uh, motivated and uh, in, in the comics that we managed to keep reading and talking about week after week, or at least three weeks out of every month. Um, we want to thank all the new subscribers, uh, of which there have been a lot since the, the end of the year and the beginning of this year. We're super, super grateful for that. Um, and we would like to give uh, big ups to the Kind Crude American Ninth Art Studios as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we're especially grateful for their past, present, and future support of this podcast. Graham? I think you said everything that needs to be said, Jeff. We will be back, not next week, but the week after, with something that is not the first episode of the next <laughs> thing that... Oh, I should... One last... Do you want to know a secret behind the podcast? Last week, on the episode, I completely talked about what our series is going to be in the middle of the episode. Yep. And Jeff had to take it out because I forgot that we hadn't said what it was going to be. <laughs> Even though at the end of the episode, I talked about the fact that we hadn't said what it was going to be. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm a moron. However, 
it, it totally makes sense. You can only be a, cause part of what threw us off, I think, was we talked a little bit on, on the, off mic, quote unquote, about our plans. And then we went back on mic. And I think that just blurred the lines a lot. So I just think it was spectacular and really. What was I thinking? I know. I'm just glad I edit those things because I clearly missed it in the moment. It wasn't until I was listening to it that time I was like, oh, oh, shit. No, we can't be talking about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, listeners, join us in two weeks for Wait What? I promise to read some comics that I like apart from Vinland Saga, which is awesome. And I'm going to I'm gonna have to like try and track that down for the next episode so we can talk about that. Yeah, please do. And uh, everyone else, uh, go also get Invincible, uh, whatever, Justice and Vegetables, I think that it's called, uh, off of Amazon. It's Or uh, it's also, I think, available through Kobo uh, and some other e-reader devices. If you're not crazy about Amazon, just start just start searching around. Check out the show notes. I've got a page link that I will throw into your comics's page there. But um, yeah, but anyway, two weeks we'll be back. We'll uh, I'll I promise to talk about some other stuff that I like. I'll be the judge of that. Bye. Perfect.